Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of... (laughs) (laughs) We're a bunch of astronauts. What are we? Yeah. Uh, And uh, coming into orbit with us, we have a guest for the first time in this phase of the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Say your your name, guest. Stephen Banvard. How you doing, guys? Welcome. Welcome. Stephen, why did you want to come on this particular episode so i'm a big fan of your hoople cast of course um, (laughs) of course you you guys are doing real good the funny thing is i came in at the tail end i think you were recording the very last episode of deadwood when when i found your podcast so i wasn't able to join you as a host on any of those though i would have loved to because i'm a big fan of all the hbo productions and uh especially for for today you know oz uh, is, is my big draw and uh, I've watched the whole series, so I, and uh, just really in love with the the whole thing. So uh, I think I can provide some good commentary. Oh, good! Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, we have a fan of the show on the podcast with us. I don't know how Matt, Mel, and Carol will react, but personally, having seen the entire series of Oz, I don't like it at all. No, no, <laughs> I never did. Why did you watch the whole thing? I, I think because, well, at the, at the time, there were fewer options for premium cable television shows. If it was on now, I don't think I would watch it. But at the time, it was like, oh, this is premium. This is adult. This is gritty. Like, people are watching it and talking about it. I'll keep pace with them, and I'll watch it. But it, it never really um, drew me in. I think because sh- every character on the show is so unlikable. And it's just My, so dark, but so I kind of like that they're all unlikable. It's they're they're great characters. I mean, they're not um, they're they're not your typical you know characters that you see on TV. So you know what, what HBO does really well uh, with all their series is the ensemble ensemble cast of just having a whole bunch of actors. I think they can afford to have a whole bunch of actors, so that you know they've carried that on uh, through the years. I I was concerned with Oz Oz. Um, Oz was intriguing. Uh, I mean, it was obviously well done. Um, the acting was good. They didn't go over the top, really. They, they had some intriguing things going on. But as you, the whole thing about them being unlikable, um, I, I like ambiguity and I like gray areas, but I was a little concerned that Oz would end up being just pretty dour pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I must admit, though I though as I say, I did find it intriguing, especially you know the way they ended the first episode was definitely a like okay, this is not going to be fun and fun good times here. Well, mm-hmm. Oz is not the only show that we're going to be talking about in this installment. We also have a nope. something of a palate cleanser in the premiere episode of From the Earth to the Moon, which is a twelve part mini series. Before we get uh, started. I just want to reiterate our spoiler policy for this phase of the podcast because I, I feel like this is the point of the podcast when people are going to start tuning back in because they weren't so interested uh, in <laughs> Philip Marlowe or life stories or why not? Why or, was that big? I don't rooms. understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my I didn't feel like wasting my life that way was such a big problem. <laughs> no, but I think. Mm, Having, I feel like Oz is a show that people have seen, so they'll yeah, want to hear our thoughts about it. 
Yeah. And yeah. not very many people have seen Hotel Room or Perversions of Science or even heard of those shows. So they may not have listened to those uh, episodes of our podcast, which, you know, shame on them because it's still entertaining. And I spliced in those audio clips so that people have a feel of having seen it without having to spend the time actually watching it. Mm. So our, our spoiler man. policy, we're a little more lenient than when we covered Deadwood. I would say a lot more lenient. I'll I'll use Oz as an example. I don't mind if you say that a character, I, I don't know, gets set on fire at some point or falls down an elevator shaft, which I think happens, or gets buried alive in a wall, which I think happens. Oh, but at a we won't say who those characters are. That's kind of where we would draw the line. So can all I think the- it's got to be the wheelchair guy because can- he kept spinning around. <laughs> <laughs> what was the deal point, with going upside down at the end there? Yeah, at some point physics has to catch up with him. <laughs> I was going to say, can all of those things happen to the Nazi? Oh. <laughs> so approach talking about these shows, if, if you've seen them, as though you were trying to convince your friend to watch them, or if your friend said, what's that about? You would tell them <laughs> enough to keep them interested to engage with them, to entice them or warn them if certain things are a trigger for them, but you wouldn't get into the nitty-gritty of who lives, who dies, that kind of thing. There's this show called Perversions of Science I think you'd really like, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I won't spoil it for you. (laughs) Now, what about about historical facts? I mean, we're dealing with one one show that is, you know – a documentary, basically. It's a it's a docudrama, I guess you would call it. Um, kind of goes back and forth. And there are things that, you know, I mean, it's historical record what happened. Now, that didn't keep us from trying to keep people unspoiled in Deadwood for what happened to Bill Hickok, for instance. Right. But, but again, that's that was different because that was the whole thrust of the podcast was getting surprised right. by those kinds of things. So I think right. history spoilers in this phase of the podcast, fine, fair okay. game. But okay. just like everybody, when sending in feedback or guesting, just use your best judgment. Kind of, yeah. So I don't have too much in the way of network news except that the teaser trailer for a new HBO film dropped. It's called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And I'm Hmm. going to read a little description of it, based on a 2010 book of the same name. In 1951, Lax had a biopsy taken from her cervix after giving birth. Doctors took two cell samples, one of cancerous cells and one of healthy cells. Henrietta died that year at age 31, but her cancerous cells became the base of an immortal cell line known as HALA, which has been used across the world for medical research. Decades later, Henrietta's daughter Deborah, played in the TV movie by Oprah Winfrey, learns how the mother she never knew contributed to medical breakthroughs that saved countless lives. Huh. Oh yeah, I'd read about this. So I will post the teaser trailer for that on the Facebook group. The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. I watched the, the trailer. It looked it looked interesting. It looked emotional. Mm-hmm. Emotionally driven. All right. Well, the first program we'll be talking about is 1997's Oz.
some of the actors who appeared on Oz in supporting roles, Catherine Irby, Seth Gilliam, Lance Reddick, Luke Perry, Patti Lapone, Edward Herman. Oh, Edward Herman. It ran until February 2003, six seasons, 56 episodes. We're going to be talking about the pilot called The Routine, which aired July 12, 1997. It was written by Tom Fontana, directed by Darnell Martin. And I'm going to get out the old spinner here. Who's going to do the dreaded 60-second plot summary? I hope it's the guest. <laughs> I'm summary. ready. Or Carol, because she hasn't done it yet either. No, she hasn't. Carol can volunteer. <sighs> I volunteered All right, here goes the spinner. It didn't take... Mm. Mel, you've you got spinner. 60 seconds to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got 60 seconds to tell us what happened in the pilot of Oz I'm trying with to as much that. detail as possible. Okay. She has one note. I have one note, and it's a quote, and it was just a ridiculous <laughs> quote. You've got 60 seconds. If you go over, you lose. If you go ridiculously under, you're a chump. All right, let me get, let me get the old stopwatch out. Chump. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get any of this in order. Eh, it doesn't matter as long as you get it. It doesn't I'm matter. I'm going to start from the back and yeah. then go to the front. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> and you'll be going on three, two, one, okay, go. Okay, so we're in a prison. There's a bunch of dudes. Uh, <laughs> obviously. This guy, like, uh, you know, in like all naive about how prisons work. He seems like he should be the main character, so I don't know. I don't see uh, figuring out uh, what's the safest prison cell I can be in. Mm-hmm. Turns out another murder. Then we follow uh, this group of uh, Muslims led by this guy. And these other guys hate them. Uh, and then there's this white supremacist <laughs> who tattoos uh, the other naive guys but um, uh, and that uh, the that Italian dude who beats the shit out of everybody, and then uh, they're like, "You're punished. You go work in an because you hate gays and and ends up dying. Burnt alive. <laughs> yeah, you can stop now. <laughs> Was she breaking up for anybody else? Did anyone else? Hear her coming through only in bits and pieces. Yeah, are we fill in any of the holes. <laughs> I, I heard, I heard white supremacist tattoo. I died. AIDS ward. Did you stop the watch? Well, that's pretty much how she was saying it. <laughs> okay, it was it was kind of garbled. I'm gonna give you a pass though. It was a minute and twenty two seconds. So what did everyone think of the main titles? Gritty? I thought they were more or less gritty than Maximum Security. <laughs> I hated the music in the show, especially the main title theme. It sounded just like stock music. But in the middle, Muzak. I found at the end, it kind of they were trying to make it sound almost noirish. I don't know. Like when they were looking at the pictures of his charred corpse or whatever, they had like the like mysterious saxophone going on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah. Just sounded, I don't know if they're trying to make it seem like... Kind sounded of like, cheap. Oh. The production values were not high on the music it sounded like to me. They anyway. spent all their money on that wheelchair sequence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, had, I, I the... had two notes for the, the intro. Um, the one where, you know, they, they made a point not to show any of the, the guys' faces. 
which uh, you know is kind of interesting from that standpoint. But um, you know, I also watch um, Netflix's The Orange Is the New Black, and for that one, that intro, all you see is the the women's faces, and it's um, like a complete opposite of Oz and. They're very similar shows. One's a male prison, one's a female prison. So you, there's that direct connection between them. But then they they made a constant choice to to make the intro um, opposite, I guess. I thought it was interesting that the logo was so cartoonish um, when done not as a tattoo on someone's skin. Um, I mean, you can see the tear and. If I'm not mistaken, doesn't that have to do with how many people you've murdered? Um, I believe so. Yeah. yeah so, you know, it's kind of a clue. But at the same time, I thought it was interesting that when they, they decided to put it on that stark white background, which made it, and it's kind of artistically done tattoo, you know, writing, that is, um, that uh, it definitely had a cartoonish feel, which was kind of weird. Well, I think all all tattoos, when they're in the, you know, they're drawn on paper first and then overlaid onto uh-huh. the skin. I think all tattoos kind of have that cartoonish look right. to begin with. Right. And then once you, you drill it into the skin, that's when it you know, right. takes on a life. Right. So, so I, I figured they were making a juxtaposition there to kind of be a little bit jarring. Does everyone know whose arm that is? Give you a little trivia. So that is that is the creator's arm, Tom Fontana. I was going to say it's probably the creators because I doubt he would ask anyone else to get a tattoo of his show or whatever. So he had, I think it was an actual tattoo? Oh, yeah. I think it was. Mm. I think he had uh, that much faith in this show that he would get a tattoo. Um, now, Tom Fantana, he um, he wrote 50 of the 56 episodes, so he, he uh-huh. was heavily involved in this series. Uh, what, almost else, like, what else has he done? Do you know? I do. Um, so he started off, uh, he did St. Elsewhere's from okay. 1983 to 87. All right. Um, and then after that, he did Homicide, Life on the Street okay. from 93 to 99. Uh, he's also done uh, Copper and Borgio, which are two shows I haven't seen. But was uh, Cop- Never heard of those. Was Copper the one that's, uh, that was the British production that was supposed yes. to take place in new york back yes. in the yeah good show i good saw show. that one yeah i'll give you a little backstory on me all I'm, of those are good shows i'm a i'm a marylander so I, I grew up um you know outside of baltimore so i grew up watching homicide life on the street and you know watching that show and all these police dramas um so i was in love with tom fontana prior to oz and it's kind of interesting that you know he just uh, carried on with that tradition of showing just that kind of gritty police, you know, from first one side to a homicide and then the other side with Oz, just showing this is where, you know, the system where these people end up. Yeah, actually, I... Do you find I, that homicide is an accurate representation of uh, the city? You know, <laughs> fairly accurate. Uh, I know they shot on location, Um yeah, I, I would say it's probably fairly accurate. Uh, now, Oz, I, I think, is hyper-realistic. I don't think that's um, uh, realistic at all with, you know, having murders every every other day, it seems. Um, but, you know, I, I did like just just that, um, the ensemble. I, I guess Homicide, you know, has an ensemble cast, and, you know, Oz follows up with that same ensemble cast. 
<clears throat> I like the ensemble, but as you said, the there's a lack of realism in how frequent the murders happen. Mm. Edie Falco has a scene where she's she's bringing Tobias Beecher into the prison, and there's no uh, fighting or fucking in Oz. Oh, Edie Falco. <laughs> None that she's aware of. None that they let her know about. That's pretty much all this show yeah. is. In Emerald City, we got rules. We got a lot more rules than anywhere else in Oz. Your cell is your home. Keep it clean. Spotless. You are to exercise regularly. Attend classes. Go to drug and alcohol counseling. You are to work in one of the prison factories. You are to follow the routine. We tell you when to sleep, when to eat, when to piss. There is no yelling, no fighting, no fucking. Follow the rules. Learn self-discipline. Because if you'd had any self-discipline, any control over yourself at all, you wouldn't be sitting here now. Questions? Yeah. Can I go to the bathroom? Suck it in, tough guy. Okay, these are your sponsors. They will help you get used to the routine. I was like, where? There's so many people in both of these shows. I was like, where have I seen that person? Where have I seen yeah. that person? Yeah, I started doing that on Oz, and then I just gave up after a certain point. She's, she's the wife in uh, Sopranos. And mm-hmm. later on, there's a guy from Terminator, Sarah Connor, Connor Chronicles. It's J.K. Oh, which one, of which, course. The guy from Lost as well. Which one was... A couple guys from which Lost. Which one what? Which one was uh, from Sarah Connor Chronicles? Uh, the guy that the Italian had shot who comes in there. The, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, the Irish. Oh, he right, right, right. There. Okay, that's... Oh, yeah. Uh, Dean Winters, he was also on two episodes of Millennium. Okay. That's how I remember I would him. I know him from that, too. Okay. I knew I knew him from some place. Also, the guy who played Dino, I knew him from... He's on something. He's on... Uh, he's on... John Cena, yeah, right? He was on 46 episodes of Homicide as uh, one of the detectives. And then he was also on Treme and Chicago PD, Chicago Justice, Chicago Fire. Played all the same character on... on all the Chicago's. All the Chicago's. Yeah, I haven't been watching any of the Chicago's. He just—he was also in the Pacific, and we're going to be watching Treme and the Pacific. I've never me. heard of Treme. I, I don't know. I've seen the guy on something. I guess I must have seen him on some of the hom. I didn't see a lot of Homicide, but I saw some, so it must have been on that. Falco and the the guy who played Tobias Beecher were on Homicide as well. Uh, they played husband and wife in on that show. The guy who played Beecher, I'd seen, but I couldn't come up with where. But not, not a lot. Lee Turgeson. He's been in a ton yeah. of stuff, too. Also, the narrator, uh, the guy in the wheelchair. He's on, right. he's on something. I don't know what he's on. He he was on Lost. Watch it. So was, um, I think, Adam right. Bisi. He was on Lost as Mr. Echo, right? right? I yeah. thought he was a bigger guy on Lost. Maybe he, get, he, maybe he put on some muscle. Hmm. Very male dominated uh, cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Though nice that's seeing no different Rita than Moreno the other show we as the nun. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they've all been pretty male heavy. Rita so Moreno far. was my first note. Ooh, Rita Moreno. Uh, my first note was the hallway scene. Someone get the cameraman a tripod. He's all tilted. <laughs> there was a lot of that. Yeah, there's like these askew cameras, and I was like, why? There was also <laughs> that sped up scene. That was weird. Yeah, and a lot a, a lot of it was either, I don't know if it was sped up or shot at a different frame rate, but you could tell that they were supposed to be moving slightly slower than they were like 
I don't know, it just looked odd in motion, cer- certain tracking shots. But yeah, the, the 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 askew camera angles. I was like, why are we doing this? No one's going insane. What? Like, what? <laughs> there's no. This isn't a, an insane person's view. Like, what? it just looks like they couldn't afford a tripod. <laughs> and then there's this the hospital scene where John Cena is with the AIDS victim, and the camera keeps going around and around their bed, and it's like, oh, stop mm-hmm. it! You're drawing too much attention to the camera work and not. To the actors. I found it very distracting. Darnell Martin. Blame it on you. Um, oh, some guy got shivved even before he entered the prison? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, it's like, what the fuck? Like, he got shivved in the waiting room. That's hardcore. So a lot of the characters, you know, the first time you see Miguel Alvarez, that's the guy who got uh, shivved, right? So you, you just see him briefly, and, you know, he's in the hospital after that. Uh, he comes back in the series. Um, oh, he does? Okay. And then Beecher, the first time we see Beecher, you know, he just witnessed someone get shivved, and so he's screaming his head off, you know, let me out, let me out. Uh, and then there's there's another guy, the first time, oh, it's uh, Ryan O'Reilly, the first time you see him in a flashback, he gets shot and left for dead. So all these all these characters, you know, they, they don't have being good beginnings, and they don't have good endings, so it's <laughs> just a hard life. Um, I thought it was weird the way they... Um... With what was his name? Beecher or Keecher? Beecher? Beecher. 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 Tobias um, Beecher. I thought it was weird the way they, as Mel said a few minutes ago, it seemed like he should be a lead character or something. The way they seemed to follow him and then just dropped him. Yeah. And picked up Dino. And it was like, okay. Yeah. We're not, okay. I, I assume this guy will come back again sometime later and we'll pick up his, but they still had the Nazi, but they, uh, they just were like, he was nowhere to be seen. It's like, okay. He was just kind of a constant menacing presence, I found, that guy. Like, he was kind of like a ticking time bomb. The Nazi? Yeah. I guess they all were, though. Like, everybody in there, it's just like, you're just waiting for somebody to do something bad. Mm. Yeah, well, they're at all times. Each other all the time. Yeah. And that's pretty much the show. People doing bad things to each other at all times. Implausible. uh, Did you say implausible? And to their... No... Mm, implausible. Yeah, yes. implausible. Okay. So I did have that note for the the first twenty one minutes. It seemed like they were setting up this world and setting up you know Tobias Beecher as your your main character. Um, and then after the twenty one minute mark, they were like, "All right, now let's let's tell this this story." And it kind of did go off the rails, and you know, you, it it did have a, a strange uh, a strange first episode. I will I will say that. I thought the. The fact that they did the whole irony thing with Dino was was interesting, but again, it was kind of a disjointed thing in that it was like, oh, we're following this guy now, and yes. okay, so we've got some irony here, and oh, all right, so much. It felt better. like either it felt like either they should have inter- introduced the other character's story earlier and had them like evenly paced, or split them into separate episodes. Because as it was, it was like half one episode, and then half another episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, they could have still had both, had all those scenes in there, but, like, spread them out more evenly so that it's not so heavy on, on the front or heavy on the end with one character. Yeah, it was it was oddly... It was, odd- it was very oddly structured. Yes. Yeah, I enjoyed the first half of this a lot more than the second half. When it got into Dino's storyline about whether or not he's going to 
be compassionate to, to an AIDS victim. I was like, I, <laughs> I don't like this guy. <laughs> Spending time um, with him. The guy with the glasses, I, I, I only know him from uh, being the bully big brother in the Weird Science show. <laughs> Who's the guy with the glasses? The, uh, That's Beecher. That's Beecher. Beecher. Oh, okay. The guy who's in for drunk driving. Yeah, drunk driving, and he hit a young girl by accident. This, but then he's thrown into hardcore maximum security right. prison. So Tobias Beecher, <laughs> you you see his uh, you see a flashback. So they he's the first flashback that they do. There are multiple flashbacks for for each of the characters. But um, you know, so it says he's convicted July ninety seven, driving while intoxicated, vehicular manslaughter, sentenced fifteen years, up for parole and four. And he's a prisoner 97B412. And I do have a trivia on the how they, they do the prison inmate numbers. It's um, okay. the first two digits are the year that they are convicted. Uh, the letter is the first of their last name. Uh, and then just a random set of numbers after that. Um, and that's, that's in all co- cases except for um, last names that begin with O. Because it could be confused with zero, um, so they 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 have different numbers. But I think that that was pretty realistic, and that that was a nice little touch that they they keep on. Oh, so that's not just in the show; that's an actual prison. System. Uh, I wouldn't know for sure, but it sounds plausible. What were you going to say, Mel? I was going to say so it was a maximum security prison, but it didn't seem like it because. It seemed like they were still able to wear civilian clothes. They could still have the option of maybe having a conjugal visit. Like, I didn't think you were allowed these things in a maximum security prison. Did they say max? Maybe this is just my limited TV knowledge of prison, but... So, Oz is Oswald Maximum Security Penitentiary. But uh, the the ward that you guys were seeing is um, M-City, Emerald City. Okay. That's that's a Tim McManus. That's the, the admin guy. That's his dream of how prison should work, and it's kind of uh, experimental. So the the whole M City yeah, design, like a pilot yeah, it's a pilot program. Yeah, and <laughs> that was the exposition at the beginning. Yep. Oh, obviously, I wasn't listening. It's an interesting set with the cells being just glass. Yeah, and you can always see into every everything mm-hmm. everywhere, and then the common area in the middle of the space with with the guard desk elevated. Then there's all these hallways that the prisoners can walk down unescorted, unsupervised. And that's where, in the future, many characters will be stabbed and strangled. I and, think. And, and family members of prisoners are also victims of various schemes and things, oh, too. Nice. It's a very, it's very dark. It's not a fun Yeah, show. I mean, interestingly enough, I... Because I'm not big on shows where there's absolutely nobody that I can you know, want to be around for an hour a week. Um, but Dino was actually, you know, they were getting to his humanity there at the end that, uh, which was part of the irony of the whole thing. But, you mm-hmm. know, and it was like, Oh, okay. We got to his humanity and now, oops, so much for that. Yeah. He mercy killed that guy at the end, which, which got him killed. Only compassionate, <laughs> Yes, but it was well. I don't know if that got him killed. It did or... get him killed because he was. It put him in a vulnerable position when he got beat up by the guards. Right, but I don't think that was the motivation for his no, attacker. No, no I mean, it wasn't. Because gave him the opportunity to kill him. Right. Yes. Yeah, it gave him the opportunity. I mean, he was tied down and drugged, 
so it gave him the opportunity to take him out. I just hope he didn't wake up when he was on fire. That's, I was thinking the same thing. I think he was awake. They were showing it all from his perspective, the camera. Mm, don't say that. Well, I know he was drugged. Yeah, so. that's what I was going to say. The good news is he was drugged like so, crazy. So it was all just like a crazy dream. Yeah, I'm sure the pain was crazy dream. Mm. But So Matt, let me ask you, are you still doing uh, Spartacast as well? Yes. Because I see a I see a lot of similarities between, you know, um, um, that show and, and Oz, where you just have these male, you know, slaves, for, for better word, and, um, you know, they're at the mercy of just violence. That, that, that is their life. Um, you know, and, uh, very similar shows between that and. Well, that's true. Except that the lead characters on Spartacus, I mean, the the slaves are portrayed as heroic or noble. They're victims, not victimized. Everyone's a victim, yeah. Not perpetrators. Yeah. There's an impromptu poetry slam at lunch, which is strange. <laughs> I could have sworn I seen the motherfucker in my cell going through my personal effects. He fingers fingering my cigarettes. Came out like nothing was happening, whistling he tuned. So I mushed his ass like move motherfucker make room. Hey, ain't that my cigarette hanging off the tip of your lip? I didn't even give him a chance for he confession. Just leveled his ass with all that aggression. Left rights to the Dolex. Ha ha ha. Foots to the chest. Uppercuts to the grill. I'm like kill. He's like chill. Take that for, for me even being in this place. Take that for that fucking CO baton across my face. Feel that for that lawyer who ain't give two fucks about me. And feel this, feel this for me being enslaved by poverty. Motherfucker. Give me them damn cigarettes. Oh, these is Marlboros. I don't, I don't, I don't smoke these. That guy was, uh, um, in the credits, he was listed as poet. <laughs> Didn't have a name, just poet. Maybe that was his name. Oh, maybe. That would be... I'm poet, man. <laughs> poet. And then at a later lunch scene, they were having kebabs on rice with zucchini that actually looked really good. <laughs> Jeez, they got a better life than I do. <laughs> it's more exciting. <laughs> you two can have their life, Mel. <laughs> oh, well, Those, I would that was think a, really that hard was a... about it, though. That was a special meal just for Nino, the uh, the Don of the prison, the Italian Don. He gets a special, special oh, right. lunch. Why does he get a special meal? Because he's the Don. He's the Don. Because, because he's got <laughs> the whole thing. With the mafio, mafioso influence. Okay. Is that, a part, is that a part of their whole, like, test? Like, we're testing something new? Like, we're going to reward the people that are, like, the worst criminals? Like, no, no, I don't think I, the prison didn't do it. It was a favor from the cook. Oh, I see. Right. In, in, in fact, there's there's a line where the you know the the blacks are trying trying to be contact, uh, contracted to kill uh, Dino, and he says, "No, we don't kill wise guys." Yeah. Yeah. Just like on Orange Is the New Black, the kitchen seems to be the plum job yeah. of the prison yeah. system. Because that's where Dino wanted to, he wanted to get back to the kitchen. Is that because they're able to sneak food and be better fed? Or let's all pick our prison jobs. What do you guys want to do? <laughs> I'll make license plates. 
I wouldn't mind making the clothes or in being in the kitchen. I feel like those would be decent jobs. You know, work in the underwear factory? Yeah. <laughs> Make some panties. <laughs> library if I can. Ooh, library is a good, be a good one. one. Yeah. I think you've got to yeah. be there a really long time to get the library job. I'll fight you for the library job, Carol. <laughs> in the okay. series, uh, Tobias gets a nice cushy job working for uh, Sister Peter Maria. As like a as an assistant. Yeah, as assistant. Yeah, just because he, he knew, day he knew computers. Yeah, and now he's got a swastika on his asses for the rest of his life. <laughs> well, I think that would be like the first thing. He's a lawyer. I'm sure he was disbarred or whatever. Well, are you disbarred just because? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I would think you would be, but he didn't do anything. Hmm. Anyway, he should be able to. Yeah, it's not like he's a bad yeah, exactly. lawyer. He's just a right. bad person. But I think you're disbarred for being a bad person too, even though. <laughs> Even though that would be a bad person. A lot of lawyers if they could prove it. Um, he could probably keep himself safe if he offers like free legal help for all the prisoners. Well, that's what sort of. I was thinking when he first said he was a lawyer. It was like, oh. Well, they're all working on appeals, appeals I would assume, and yeah. somebody would need to, to research that. And, and, you know, if you're a convicted felon, you're without any money, you're probably not being able to afford a lawyer to research your case for your appeal full-time, but hey, Tobias, is yeah. uh, he's going to take on uh, some cases for you, and then then you'd have people saying, oh, leave him alone, because he's working on my appeal Yeah, case. but then what like, if he fucks up your appeal case? Well, I think you have to make it pretty clear, look, there's no guarantees here. Uh, I'll do the best I don't I think can. that matters in prison, though. I, it, I mean, it's obviously it's risky, but it, everything is. Everything on the show can yeah. get you dead. I liked it when uh, Dino offered some advice and said, stop smiling. Yeah. Cause, yeah. It was obvious that he was a target. Oh, well, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor fella. He was projecting. What was up with the with the very sparse narration and, like, the MC Escher jail cell? Yeah. Yeah, what was that? Like, Oh, you didn't like it when he said, they call this a penal system, but it's really a penis system. <laughs> oh, kind of ex- Expecting that? They call us the penal system, but it's really the penis system. It's about how big, it's about how long, it's about how hard. Life and ours is all about the size of your dick, and anybody who tells you different ain't got one. As soon as he said they call it a penal system, I'm like, okay, we know where this pun is going. This didn't yeah. add anything. And I wasn't even sure if that guy was really there, because he, like... Did he ever he, he interact did, yes. with like, But he yes. was just like, like he would pass through in a scene, I feel like. I don't remember he, him talking. He, spoke, he uh, was the one that the guy said, uh, you know, what did you do on the outside? And he said, a lawyer. I, and he said, I like lawyers. I only like lawyers a little more than cops or something like that. Something like that. He has a, a bigger role in the second episode. He's he's the main focus of the second episode. But uh, as far as his role as the narrator, uh, he didn't really do a, that great of a job in the pilot episode. But later on, he gets uh, a little more philosophical with it, and uh, he's almost like um, like a Shakespearean kind of a narrator. You know how uh, Shakespeare has you know these like witches at the beginning telling about the fates of you know the the different people. That, that's kind of what his role in that show is, is um, get a little more philosophical on, on life. Yeah, I remember he gets, like, props and <laughs> costumes. Yeah, and I think the, uh, just him spinning around in a, you know, a glass um, cell was similar to the um, cockroach in the glass jar 
think that that's a very strong metaphor between the two. Yeah, but why was he able to go up on the ceiling? I mean, <laughs> again, just with the the Shakespearean metaphor there, he, he's um, he's supernatural in his narration. You know, oh, as, okay. I wonder if he was like a hamster on a wheel because the cage. Yeah, was why? Spinning. Why was this? So he's trapped and he's spinning his wheels. He's also in a wheelchair. I missed. I was gone for a little while. What was the Shakespearean metaphor you're talking about? Um, so Shakespeare has um, narrators at the beginning and ending of um, some of the stories. And yes. So I think that's the the his role in the series is okay. providing that narration, and it's kind of a, a supernatural element to the whole thing. Oh, okay. It's just talking to the audience a mechanism to draw us into the story, right? Because we're it's a... this isn't our world, so we can't relate to these people. But right. if he is the bridge between the worlds, he can help us yeah. understand what they're yeah. what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it definitely was a way to get us connected to the world that we're in. But if you're gonna have voiceover, it's gotta be they gotta be saying something worth hearing. And his little comparison of how the penal system is. Big and long and hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I think I stopped listening at that point. But um I did laugh in one scene, it's when McManus is with Dino in his office and Dino has the the cockroach or whatever it is trapped underneath the glass. And McManus looks up and sees a guard looking in his window and he's like, Alright, we need some privacy here. So he goes and he closes the blinds and the guard walks away. Meanwhile there's like ten other windows yeah. that yeah. are just yeah. like well, I, I shut him down. He's not going to be able to see yeah. it now. What did you guys think of having the 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 Muslim angle in there, or the as as the Trump administration calls it, the Muslims? <laughs> I mean, I think it was uh, from what I've heard, and I know very little about prison. Um, you know, you have your factions and you have your groups, and mm-hmm. the Black Muslims are a pretty pretty influential group. I thought it was just interesting that this guy was basically a terrorist, and this was this was before nine eleven, right? Yeah, what he was, was homegrown. This? He was what, homegrown terrorist. What year was this? That, I don't know if I'd call him a terrorist. Yeah. He's an arsonist. I thought, oh, I thought he killed people in an explosion or something. Uh, he, I thought the explosion was. He set fire to a, a, a white-owned warehouse in a black. And wasn't he claiming Nobody, that it was a political action, though? I thought Nobody, he was claiming that it was a political action. And that mm. he was a political prisoner. Did people die? It wouldn't surprise. What I remember about that character, he's very holier yeah. than thou. Yeah. So Kareem Saeed is who we're talking about. Mm. Prisoner nine seven S four four four. So that was uh, he was convicted in ninety seven. Um, AKA Goodson Truman. So I guess that's his uh, you know his birth name Goodson Truman, and he changed it. Yeah. Um, but he was convicted in 97 of arson in the second degree, sentenced 18 years, eligible in five. Um, my note for that is Goodson Truman is a pretty badass name. He's a good yeah. son, Truman. Yeah, I, yeah. That's a pretty good name. I, I don't know if that needs to be changed. <laughs> and the actor Eamon Walker is from London, and he's in 107 episodes of Chicago Fire. <laughs> I have not been watching any of the Chicago programs. Boy, there's a lot of them. Apparently. There are. There's. I think the whole one network, whatever network it's on, it's like all Chicago all the time. They must have gotten a really good tax break. I remember him from the movie Unbreakable in 2000, where he's just in it for one scene and has like one line. It's 
I know it's you, you have this good of an actor and you just use him for one scene. It's kind of that was heartbreaking. Mm. So drawing a comparison between this show and Maximum Security, I would say that <laughs> Tim McManus is kind of the Gene Smart character from that. Yeah. Hey, let's take a softer approach to to prison. What if we treated it more as like a rehabilitation mm-hmm. than just doing yeah. hard time? And then he starts to dick around with the conjugal visits, and that's when the sister says, accuses him of playing God. It's going to backfire on you, Hi, Tim. Timmy. What's up? Dean Ordolani. Cancel his conjugal visit. Tell him, uh... Instead, he can have family time. Family? He's Italian. That could mean upwards of a hundred people. No, no, no. Just his wife and kids. And I want him to meet behind the glass. I want him to see him, but no touching. Oh, Tim. You want to be careful. About what? Of playing God once too often. If you're not careful... The real one's going to get very pissed off. It's not just the conjugal visits. He's he's playing w- around with how who who the guy sees and how in order to, you know, like have a reaction from the guy. Yes, facilitate his growth as a human yeah. being. You were going to spend you don't like uh gays, you're going to spend time in an yeah. AIDS ward. It does have an effect though, cuz at the end he mercy kills the uh Dino mercy kills that that man and that was compassionate, yeah, was. despite being murdered. <laughs> yeah, I mean... He had the best of intentions. So I almost expected the guy next to him who was watching to be like, do me next. <laughs> Just down the line. <laughs> so I think having a AIDS uh, ward kind of dates this series. Because I, I don't think that, that exists anymore. If it does, it's called something else, a little more PC. But uh, having an AIDS ward, you know, definitely that... That whole fear, and you, you see that throughout the the series, is the fear of AIDS, and that seems to be a you know a very late eighties, early nineties. Um. You see, like D- Dino was like super scared of like catching it at first, but then he's in there and he's like cheek to cheek with the guy with the open open wounds, and he's like sharing cigarettes with them with no problem. And I don't think he ever smoked a. It wasn't like he. He smoked the cigarette after the guy. No, I know. He like, you know. No, he just still touched he, him. He was though. just very. Oh yeah, he touched him. He, he didn't have any issues getting close to him, which was good. But it just maybe seemed... they educated him on what. I mean, I would hope that they'd educate him on you know, how how it's contracted. Either, yeah, how to keep from getting it and so forth, and realize. I felt bad for the yeah. doctor. Just like, thanks for making my job more difficult by putting this loose cannon who likes to sexually harass me in my yeah. territory. Yeah, really. Appreciate I, that. I felt bad you. for her until she was like, he killed him. And I was like, he wanted to die. Like, mm. yeah, like, but if you couldn't see that as his doctor, like, if you, you couldn't, you know, like, I feel like, what, what kind of a compassionate person are you? Yeah. She might have known that the guy wanted to die, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she knows that the guy begged this guy to kill him. Mm. You know? I feel like if he begged that guy, he must have begged to her as well. Not necessarily. I mean, he knows the difference between a doctor and a murderer. Yeah, all all the doctor saw was that this guy hated gays, right? And next thing she sees is him killing a gay, so... Yeah. Yeah. 
But he said he wasn't gay. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's true. killing an AIDS patient. Well, a lot of people. I thought he said that he. I thought he said gay people can have daughters too. But no, but he, he said. said he got it from a needle. So yeah, he's gay. I think oh. I think it's one of those things where in a lot of cases you don't you just don't even bother to fight somebody on that. It's like well, yeah, fine. Have whatever. energy at that point? I probably not. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but there was there's a lot of people who still you know have same kind of problems and you know lack of understanding of how these things work. I just thought it was weird that even at that point, I'm assuming it's the late '90s that there was still misunderstanding about AIDS. I thought by that point that people would have been somewhat educated about it. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh I think there's still now. I think that's, people are that's, that's shocking to me. Like yeah. I feel like people should know about this by now. Yeah, I mean there's still people that associate, you know, AIDS with being gay too. And like not necessarily folks. They should watch Blood Brothers, the Joey DiPaolo story from Life Stories, Families in Crisis. <laughs> then they'll learn all about how about AIDS and how yes. it works. Yeah. I'd say the scene that made me the most uncomfortable was when Dino and was it Ryan O'Reilly when they're in the bathroom. Yes. There's no talking in the bathroom. That's one of my <laughs> it, it wasn't the where he shoves Ryan's face into the toilet bowl that 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 didn't bother you. It was the talking part. It's the talking. You don't talk in a bathroom. <laughs> Bathrooms are for doing bathroom business. You want to talk, you wait till you get outside. They do a lot worse things in bathrooms on this show. There's a lot of terrible things that happen on, on Oz. Uh, Steven, do you remember any particularly awful, outrageous uh, things? You brought up the, the one where uh, someone's um, put inside a wall. That, that, that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> I just like that one. Um, there's, uh, Chris, at the end of this season, I'm trying not to get too spoiler, but, um, you know, it's hinted throughout, throughout this episode that, you know, with the introduction of Kareem Saeed and him inciting a riot kind of thing, and uh, then they they talk about taking away cigarettes, you know, the state ruling to take away cigarettes from the prisoners and that being, uh, you know, incendiary to the, the prisoners. So at the end, the the season finale of, of season one is pretty pretty amazing, you know, where they... There is a riot, and it, it gets it gets pretty heated and pretty excited, and then they they end it on a cliffhanger, so you don't you don't even know how how it ends. You have to watch season two to to figure out what what happened in the in the riot itself. So I, I think you know this first season, if you if you're going to continue watching Oz, you know watch to the end of the first season, and uh, you know it picks up again in season two. Um, and just continue on with there, and they introduce more characters in season two that have a, a lasting effect on on the show. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's much. To of my a- memory, sorry, to my memory, the most ludicrous plot that happens is at some point a like a ship of Chinese refugees shows up in port, and they're like, "What do we do with all these illegals? Oh, we'll let them. Uh, we'll house them in Emerald City." <laughs> I do. That seems ludicrous to me. <laughs> I that, do remember that. <laughs> Chinese refugees would be like, oh, we'll put them in the prison with the prison population. With, with this administration, you, you know, yeah, I could see him putting refugees in uh, all sorts of places. Actually, um, some months ago, before the before the inauguration, there was a protest here in New Jersey having to do with uh, how they were, well. Using a very loosely used word, housing, um, 
detained immigrants um, and the protesting the conditions that they were being held under. You see, I can understand them putting them in an unused part of the prison or an unused prison, but to put them in the population with the prisoners and let them share cells, knowing that these prisoners commit murder and sodomy all it's the time. Bad. That would be that. Yeah. That must yeah. have been a uh, Tim McManus decision. You know, he he wanted to reintroduce society to these prisoners, and this is how he was going to do it. And uh, spoiler alert: <laughs> it does not go well. So, who wants to read Harold's feedback? Sure. I will. Oh, okay. You okay. can get it. Or somebody else can. Matt, we'll have you read. We'll have you read the okay. next thing. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Uh, it's in the Skype. Was it the red thing? No, it's underneath oh, that. Okay, let me, let me go back. No, well, somebody else is going to have to read it because I don't see anything underneath it. I know what Stephen was saying about the show feeling dated regarding the AIDS ward. Because you, you would think that today they'd have like a cocktail of drugs that would keep it from progressing to the point where you you have like open sores and things. Well, like I mean, it, my understanding is that it keeps you alive for a whole lot longer. But I think, I mean, in the end, it doesn't, I mean, I guess, I guess it's more cancers, but. Okay, Matt, you want to read Harold's okay. feedback? Um, is, it, is this a really short one here? It's a short, Pretty maybe. Short. Three, three paragraphs. Um, both of these shows immediately announced themselves as part of a new era for HBO. Unfortunately, they both seem dated to me. I had two problems with Oz. The first was that it was so unrelentingly dark. Maybe back then, with not much worth watching, I would have given a second episode a try out of curiosity. Nowadays, with so many options, I would move on. <laughs> keep, sorry, it keeps coming back to that. <laughs> what? Oh, what? Oh, Just like the TV's options. better now? Yeah, TV's better. You gotta look at it through a different lens, Harold. <laughs> Uh, which I did. Oz is available on Amazon Prime, which I have, but I'm not going to watch any further. My other problem was that, or was with the story structure. They were doing a good job setting up the rival sex and different characters, and then it all came to a halt in the second half when it became a Dino-centric episode. Why well, spend so much time on a character who won't be returning? It just felt like the Dino story was there to make a statement that this wasn't going to be a show about tough guys developing empathy for HIV patients, it's going to be a show about characters you like getting burned alive. I feel like they could have done a better job if they had instead given us four or five plot lines, a few of them dark, and done more to develop some character identification with the middle-class white guy lawyer as an introduction, introductory character before he got his ass branded. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Uh, the, the first episode uh, does have its flaws, especially with the, uh, the story structure. Uh, it it feels, you know, it's called the routine, right? And Dino's story was very much the routine. So it feels like it was written before the rest of the show was developed, kind of like a, just a one-off story, and uh, maybe pitched it with that one-off story and then had to fill in the rest of it afterwards. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that statement, Harold. Carol, I sent you a review into your Oops, email. Okay. I wonder if Oz was produced today if they would have approached the pilot with the same uh, with the same structure. Because now there's an expectation of, we don't have to tell you everything in the pilot. We don't have to tell a self-contained yeah. story about one character because we expect you to, to know that this is serialized and you're going to be tuning in every week. Whereas back then, it's like, a pilot? we gotta We got to completely distill the entire premise of the series in one episode because there's no expectation that you'll watch I it. I thought on. Harold had a very good point that when he said that it 
sounded like it seemed like the Dean Dino story was like maybe written first or something, and then they had to put in all the exposition of who everybody was, and they kind of smushed one side one to the back or something. I don't know. It it did seem very much like perhaps one was written at one time and one was written at the other, and they ended up smushing them together. I have the review. Okay. Review. Oz by Ray Richmond. Variety, July 14th, 1997. Just how vicious and raw is Oz? HBO's first drama series. So much so that the typically bold pay cabler is debuting it in the ungodly time slot of Saturday at 11.30 p.m., leaving the impression that even HBO is a little squeamish about launching a prison drama in which sadistic white supremacists coexist alongside cannibalistic parent killers. Just the kind of thing you want to come home to after the perfect date. Time period notwithstanding, Oz is the kind of brash, unsparing, disturbing ensemble series we would expect from Tom Fontana, the homicide life-on-the-street guru who executive produces with partner Barry Levinson and writes all eight installments of this urban nightmare come to life. In depicting what it's like inside an experimental unit of the fictitious Oswald Maximum Security Prison, oh, Maximum, yeah, Fontana, at last released from the shackles of broadcast primetime, serves up a bleak, agonizingly downbeat, and occasionally overstylized vision of prison existence. It's about as pretty as a decaying corpse, and there is no one to root for. As such, series pushes TV's content envelope in daring ways. And talk about you're not ready for primetime players. In the pilot, The Routine, we meet Donald Groves, uh, Sean Whitesell, a psychopath, a sociopath, I'm sorry, a sociopath who killed his parents and then ate them. Dino Ortolani, John Zeta, a hair-trigger homophobe with a penchant for beating nearly to death any guy who propositions him. Schillinger, J.K. Simmons, a neo-Nazi who takes a frightened new inmate named Tobias Beecher Lee Turgenson, Turgeson as his love slave, tattooing a swastika onto his buttocks, and Jefferson Keene, Leon, who likes to pummel people just for the heck of it. By comparison, NYPD Blue seems as tame as the Blue Lagoon. Overseeing this jungle of retribution, anxiety, homemade knives, shanks in the prison lexicon, and misplaced idealism is Warden Leo Glynn, Ernie Hudson, a by-the-book bureaucrat, and Tim McManus, fine work from Terry Kinney, the head man inside the penitentiary unit known as M-City, as in the Land of Oz, who clings tightly to his odd notions of rehabilitation. Rita Moreno pops up in the second hour, vistas, visits conjugal and otherwise, as Sister Peter Marie, a psychological counselor and conjugal visit arranger. One of the most powerful moments in the brutally intense Oz comes in that second episode, when Schillinger humiliates his woman, Beecher, by making him ask permission to have conjugal relations with his visiting wife. It's gut-wrenching stuff. On the other hand, several elements of Oz fail to ring true. One is the very idea that a white-collar attorney like Beecher who was convicted of manslaughter in a drunken driving incident, would be placed into this high-voltage prison population. Another annoying and altogether unnecessary element finds a wheelchair-bound inmate named Augustus Hill, Harold Perrineau, delivering self-admiring, loosey-goosey commentaries directly to the camera for no reason other than to appear hip. 
We also don't need quite as much of the herky-jerky film technique that Fontana employed with such success in Homicide. It tends to grade after a while. Yet there is also plenty that Fontana and company get right. The sharp racial divisions, the predatory homosexuality, the unceasing tension between guard and inmate, the tendency to prey on the weak-willed, and the utter lack of trust and security are all dramatized in Oz with an uncanny level of believability. There is, then, a lot to admire about Oz. It looks and feels like the real thing. It is also so relentlessly ugly and grim that the simple act of viewing it weighs heavy on the soul. I yeah. think we uh, addressed all those issues. I think we did. Uh, we did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty on point. <laughs> Got some capsule reviews that range from positive pretty to good negative. Review, um, that was a really good review. Mel, why don't you just uh, read through these little capsule reviews? They're from a couple different newspapers. What did you just post? Huh? I posted the uh, the little capsule reviews. Matt posted something, or somebody did. Oh, sorry, I was because <laughs> I was taking I was taking a sip of my hibiscus saison cider. Hello, uh, oh, well, excuse you. <laughs> uh, I posted some capsule reviews from various newspapers that range from uh, positive to negative reviews. I'll have Matt Mel read these. Uh, let's see where they start. The St. Louis Dispatch is that where it starts? Yeah. Okay. Is it St. Louis or St. Louis? St. Louis, right? St. Louis. Huh? I thought Mel? you said Matt and Mel. Oh, okay. Take turns. <laughs> <laughs> or, it is St. Louis. Did you say just Mel? No, no. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, you take this one. He wants you to take this one. <laughs> no, no, no. You can take no, turns. You no, do whatever you want to do. It's too late. You've hurt his feelings. Yeah. <laughs> He obviously had something really wonderful set up for you for later, Matt. Mm. I, th- I thought he read Harold's. I think we just heard you say Matt and Mel. I could have sworn you said Matt I and Mel. I thought so too, but oh, well then, you know what? check the tape. It wasn't the same. <laughs> it, just sounded like, it just sounded like Mel to me. Okay, oh. never mind. Maybe we're if only we were recording this. <laughs> <laughs> we just have terrible internet. Anyway, go ahead, just no. terrible internet. Drunk on cider at the moment. <laughs> um... St. Louis Post-Dispatch. In a stifling summer of same old, same old on the tube, HBO's Oz is a shock of ice water in the face, a kick in the stomach, an exciting, exhausting, horrifying, mesmerizing trip to hell. (laughs) Operating as the Oswald Maximum Security Prison for adults who choose to go to hell, and they don't... Did they... (laughs) I guess they chose. And not quite back, Oz is just about as powerful as TV drama gets. And then he gives it a 100 out of 100. Whoa. Well, Metacritic okay. did. Uh, Newark Star Ledger. For the most part, Oz is an awesome achievement. An alternately crude and elegant attempt to expand the boundaries of the one-hour drama. If it can avoid an over-reliance on prison movie cliches, stay focused on the redemption theme, and give its powerhouse cast more room to breathe, it could be one of the more important shows ever aired on American television. Huh. Again, 100 out of 100. <laughs> the New York Times. Oz can also be unpleasant to watch. It is so gruesome and claustrophobic. Yet, over the first few weeks, as the series moves beyond its introductory shock value, it becomes more serious, disturbing, and gripping. 80 out of 100. <laughs> the Los Angeles Times. Its uniqueness and arresting style don't earn it an unqualified endorsement here. For its first two Fontana-written episodes are absolute downers. There's no light at the end of a tunnel, nor even a tunnel. 
that offer no central characters to like or pull for. Be forewarned, too, that Oz is flat out the most violent and graphically sexual series on TV. By contrast, it makes ABC's NYPD Blue look and sound like Dancing Barney. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's horrifying. I don't know what he's talking about. 60 out of 100. I wonder if this guy would rather watch Barney. (laughs) Orlando Sentinel. The series offers undeniable shock value. It's a scared straight for adults, but for all its technical dazzle, embracing content, Oz never overcomes a dramatic hurdle. It's nearly impossible to care about the characters. Four out of 100. This is good. Just downhill, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Going downhill. (laughs) Oh, you're going, you're turning into a robot. 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 Am I still a robot? Okay. No, you're better now. I'll start again. Desiree News. Oz is well-written, well-acted, well-directed, and full of superior production values. I don't like it. <laughs> it's billed as a realistic look at prison life, and I'm in no position to dispute that. I've never served time. Oz is certainly graphic, gritty, and bleak. It's also unpleasant to watch. Where is the entertainment value Is some in something this unremittingly dark and unpleasant? 40 out of 100. <laughs> Did this guy just say that he doesn't like it because he's never been to prison? <laughs> no, was... he's saying... <laughs> no. He's <laughs> like, I've never been to prison. I don't like it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, Boston Globe. Pretentious exercise in cheap thrills by great talents who've been allowed to run amok. 30 out of 100. So I guess... NYPD Blue at the time was the the most graphic show on TV, and I think it showed the first male ass on TV. I think it did too, man. I saw a penis in this episode. Yes, I I did. Half of one. I had to rewind four times. Mel didn't believe me. I was like, I don't care. And he's like, look, look, there's a penis. I was like, okay. (laughs) I I have to admit, I dis I missed that. You didn't miss much. Uh, not a problem. Oh, <laughs> sorry, John Cena. You, say that about you Dino. only saw half the penis. Poor, poor Dino. <laughs> it, it's not. It won't be the last one. So. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of nudity. You know, they did you watch the um, Seinfeld SNL I, I sketch did, yes. that I put in the Facebook yes. group? No. As as Jerry says, yeah, the hole they throw you in naked, and they do, and I don't understand why. <laughs> You got me on that they one. They literally do that. The whole the whole is like solitary on on Oz. They, they just throw you in naked. They throw you in naked. So there's yeah, there's a fair bit of nudity. At one point or another, I think everyone ends I suppose up. Suppose they hole. really want to humil- humiliate the person. You know, the best actor slash character uh, is Christopher Maloney. Whenever he Next shows season. up, uh, second season. Yeah, he he was at least a compelling. Presence I always liked the, the. I think he he, he injected it with a lot of. I thought uh, Kareem Saeed um, does a does a fantastic job in this episode. If there's one, you know, standard uh, um, presence on this show, it, it was him for for this episode anyway. He he was very dominating in the show. Count! What now? We go to our cells. They count heads. Lock us up for the night. Well, it's five o'clock. What am I supposed to do? What time is lights out? 10 p.m. What do I do for five hours? Try to keep breathing. 
Well, that's what Harold and the critics thought about Oz. Let's get into our own personal ratings as the guests. Stephen, why don't you go first? Tell us your rating on a scale of 1 to 10. And would you watch another episode? Well, we know you've seen them all. Uh, so for, so I'm, I'm kind of torn. For the, the series, I would give it a higher rating than just this episode. This this pilot episode did have its flaws. Um, you know, it, it did, did a good job in the first 20, 21 minutes of introducing characters and kind of the world building. And, you know, there, there was a walk and talk, um, you know, just kind of showcasing the, the, the layout of the prison. And of course, it's all glass doors. So you can kind of see, see everything from vantage points. Uh, but I would give this, this pilot episode, the routine, probably a, a seven. And that's generous seven. Okay. Matt, wouldn't you go next? We know how you feel about prison dramas. <laughs> you can let us know. Did you like this more or less than maximum more. security? I don't remember what I gave that, but um, really bad. Four. four, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give it a seven. Seven over Kill Revenge Axe. Um, yeah, it was more interesting than maximum security and a lot of other prison shows I've seen. Uh, I hated the music. I didn't like some of the camera work, and I didn't like how things were structured. But beyond that, there was some interesting characters and stuff to to be had. So not the best, not terrible. No. I feel the same. So would you watch? Wait, would you watch another one? If I had absolutely nothing else to watch at the moment, sure. Okay. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, yeah, please. that's okay. Uh, yeah, I feel about the same way. Like. I, I would I would give it another try. Like it was it was interesting. Uh it is very dark, but I don't mind that. I mean that's it seems like that's a lot of T V nowadays anyways. So whatever. Nothing new. Um but yeah, I'll probably give it a, a seven out of ten partial penises. <laughs> All um, right, Carol. I I liked it a lot more than the other stuff that we've seen so far. Mm. Um, I I really thought it was there was a, some intriguing stuff there. I could see it getting better as far as structure goes as it goes. I I mean maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but it seemed like it had the potential for it. It shouldn't be that hard to clean up the structure. Um, again, I'm I don't really want to spend a lot of time in a in this place, <laughs> I just, um, especially now, um, I'd give it uh, seven out of ten gravity-defying wheelchairs, and <laughs> nice. I would watch it again. I would watch more of it if somebody wanted to watch it and wanted me to watch it with them. Um, by myself, I there's a lot of other things that I really have not watched that I need to watch, so I wouldn't get to this one. But if somebody wanted to watch it, I wouldn't say no. Mm. Okay. Well, the fact that Stephen said that the second episode is much better and more indicative of what the show was actually like made me want to watch the second mm-hmm. one. But then, because I had all the, I have all these other podcasts scheduled that I had all these other things to watch that I like. I can't really bring myself to spend another hour. So you didn't on TV. watch it. Uh, so I didn't watch it. No, I've seen the entire sh- show. Oh, right. uh, I've said before, I-, I don't really like it at all. It's very nihilistic, very mean. And a lot of the plots are just so preposterous. The way that they're able to hatch these schemes and b- carry them through. just There's no oversight in this prison. It's very frustrating. Mm. Yeah, 
And uh, of course, the um, all the racial cliques. It's just very petty and juvenile, and the the whole thing's very like aggressively masculine and macho, which is a turnoff. So, but uh, stylish. I like the set. I think that's well constructed. Uh, I, the music doesn't bother me. I think it's actually pretty appropriate for the tone that they're trying to strike. And of course, a lot of the actors are fantastic. But I'm going to give it six out of ten kebab lunches. <laughs> That brings our uh, average to 6.8, which is the highest rated of anything we've watched so far. Not bad. I want to amend mine to seven tiny added VC hats. I'll I'll, I'll put that addition to it. How's it stay on? (laughs) And next on the agenda, 1998's From the Earth to the Moon. The most expensive drama in TV history at $68 million, back when it aired, mm-hmm. was 12 episodes in length, and it concerns the Apollo missions. No. Oh, you mean later on, the Apollo missions. And the Gemini missions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, the Gemini. Uh, wow, what That's is not up how with you that say pro- that, right? What is up with that pronunciation? Is Like, I felt like, they made me feel like I was wrong. <laughs> they... They did call it that, and I didn't know that for a long time, even when I was a kid. Everybody always, I always heard it referred to as Gemini, but then I, you know, but lately I I have heard that they called it, you know, Gemini. All right, I'm getting out the spinner for the dreaded 60-second plot summary. And this one's going to be hard to do. This one's a hard one. If it's Mel again, we're going to go to the one that's after her. We're not going to make her do it twice. Thank you. Don't consider it. Also, I think you'd murder me if... (laughs) No, that's okay. I'm over it. It finally happened. Carol? Carol! Carol. 
Of course it would be me because the other one I could have done with no problem. This one is going to be tough. Okay. Yeah, I dodged the bullet on this one. Boy, you sure did. <laughs> I was on Calavici Fashion Cast this morning going, oh my God, I had to do the 60-second plot summary when I didn't dodge the bullet. Yes. All right, 60 seconds to summarize as much of the plot as possible. If you go over, you lose. If you go ridiculously under, you're a chump. Ready? Three, two, one, go. The Russians get to uh, send a man up. Uh, well, the Russians had already sent Sputnik up. It uh, energized the Americans to start the space program. They got seven Mercury astronauts together. But Yuri Gagarin went up first. He was the first human in space, and he actually went around the Earth. So the the U.S., because of the Red Scare, was terrified that the Russians would show them up and take over space. So they rushed Shepard into um, into a, not orbit, but just went up into space and came back down again 15 minutes. Everybody cheered, big parades. From there on, they got Kennedy to um, agree to announce the moon landing before 19 before the end of uh, the decade aiming for at least midnight 1969 going into 70 uh to do that they had to figure out what the different steps were and plot them out for the next however many missions of mercury and then going into gemini they <laughs> uh, got another nine astronauts after that and a bunch more after that and this one takes us through walking in space uh, docking in space and setting up for the Apollo missions. The One end. minute and 30 seconds. Well, I covered a hell of a lot. You you did. You covered a hell of a lot. You made a rookie mistake of trying to explain too much. <laughs> so the premiere episode is titled, Can We Do This? It aired April 5th, 1998. It was written by Stephen Katz, directed by Tom Hanks. My first note is: Are these the main titles to Enterprise? That's what. I, that's exactly what I wrote. I, I wrote been a long road. <laughs> <laughs> Getting from there to here. To here. <laughs> uh, best theme song ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's all she's seen from the show. That's all I've seen. <laughs> that that was the uh, the footage though the of the guy I don't know which guy it was in the spacesuit. Getting they were like putting it on him or whatever. Footage? It's the same guy, yeah. I, I missed, don't know. Somehow or another, I, the the uh, title sequences and stuff did not make a big impression on me. I think because I was looking at the names and stuff, you know, it's like, oh, Ron Howard was involved with this, and Tom Hanks was involved with this. I'm trying to find out who the astronaut. You mentioned Ron Howard and Tom oh. Hanks, and uh, you know they they did Apollo 13 uh, in '95, sure so that was three years prior to this. But, um, you know, it feels very much like a follow-on to Apollo 13. Apollo 13 was before this? Yes. Oh, wow. I was thinking it was after. It was in 95, so three years before this. Wow. Okay. But it might have been like, um, you know, the success of Apollo 13 um, gave the green light for this and just took three years to, to... Produce and print. How many episodes of this are there? There were 12. And they go all the way through Apollo 17. Oh, okay. So they cover quite a scope. 
I would have been interested in watching the original Wives Club, the lives of the astronaut wives during their NASA years and beyond. If, if only reality TV was a thing back then. That was that was a show, though, wasn't it? Or they did some kind of special or something? They did something like that recently, yeah. yeah. Wives of astronauts, but no, there there's an installment of this series, which is a uh, which touches on that we subject. Just watched, we just watched Hidden Figures in the theater, Mel and I recently. Oh yeah. We wondering if any of those people would ever show up in the series, and I really doubt it. I doubt it because like most of this no. first episode was just whiteness. White men. men. White men. Yeah. 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 I don't think. But the movie I, may I'm... be very intricate to the the whole process. And I'm guessing that even as they get into the 70s, none of the women that were in the programming and stuff are going to show up. Did anyone think that uh, Kennedy's speech about the moon isn't that great? It's, a, it's <laughs> funny. We choose to go to the moon and, and this, that, and the other thing. And what? <laughs> what are you it, it feels like he forgot what he was talking about. We choose to do, go to the moon and do the, the other things because... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think, well, I think there was a an earlier part to the speech that we didn't hear that mm-hmm. was when he said, and do these other things. Which, he said, do the other things. Yeah, thing. not the most eloquent way of saying yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. But I think there was something that, I mean, it wasn't the, the word salad we're used to in the last month. <laughs> he actually did have something he was referring to. Maybe I this believe. is why I heard, I misheard, like, a lot of what, like, because that's what I heard. I heard this, that, and the other things. I was like, what? <laughs> no, it wasn't as bad Boy, as you seems, probably think That it seems familiar. <laughs> yeah, what? what? <laughs> yeah, it probably was not as bad as you thought. No, no. Russia- it's, just, it's just, yeah. Russians in space, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> it's always interesting for these docudramas what uh, they... They dramatize and what they, they keep as archival footage. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. always it seems a little random at times, but. Uh, I love the archival footage. I think it's cool. Yeah. Mm, I like yeah. Al Franken playing some sort of government yeah. person before he was ever in the government. <laughs> as head of the president's science advisory, I've got to tell him that politics aside, there's no reason to put a man on the moon. The only thing we'll get for our money are some rocks. So put a probe up, scoop some out, bring them back, and tour the world with them for propaganda purposes. You don't need to send a man a quarter of a million miles away to do that. And it sure as hell won't cost $20 billion. Yeah, I noticed his that. Voice, his voice is exactly the same as his character, Stuart. Like, so I can never... Or is it Stuart? Yeah. Smalley, Stuart Smalley. Smalley. I can never look at him without seeing that character. So it opens with... A- a dramatic, in, in quotes, scene of people looking very concerned at, at screens. Mm. And I did not know what was happening. It was not. <laughs> Remember, what did they turn out to be looking at? I don't... Was it a, a Russian? Was it the, the first Russian in space? Is that what... That kind of drives the whole motivation of the, the space race and this miniseries. Right, we want to beat those communists. Yeah, yeah might have been. <laughs> no, but that wasn't why they were looking at the screens. I don't know. It was some some test flight. Yeah, I took very few notes on this, um, mm-hmm. which I don't think reflects badly on it. It just 
Well, my knowledge of history for this time is very limited. It essentially, is Apollo thirteen, and that was only one mission of you know all the Apollo missions. So I I have no no background on any of this. So if if you guys have historical knowledge of um, that, that I would love to hear that. Um, yeah, I, I took very little notes as well. Well, I've got some historical knowledge of it, but I mean, it was just well from my reading and and. Yes, I am old enough to remember it as a child. Um, so old. I remember a lot of this stuff. <laughs> what? No, that's it. I said so old, but no, that, that must have been really cool. Well, you know, it was, yes, it was cool. But at the same time, when you're a kid and when it's happening all the time, mm-hmm. it becomes, why isn't I Love Lucy on? You know, it's like, oh, it's another space shot. Really? When is... Is it going to be over in time for I Love Lucy to come three runs to come back on? Yeah, you know that that kind of stuff I remember happening. But uh, yeah, do we I, have to watch this? <laughs> no, I never. I was never like that. But if it was, you know, if it was something like in the middle of the day and I was, you know, homesick or something, because I I remember that specifically happening. But um, yeah, it was a huge deal. Um, I I remember like we memorized all the astronauts' names in school. And, um, and, you know, stuff like this, it's like, yeah, when, when they're going through, you know, one of these will be the first American in space. It's like, okay, that's Shepard. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you know what happened to Gus Grissom, then the whole conversation, um, walking along the pathway is very bittersweet where, you know, they're talking about wanting a Mercury astronaut to be on Apollo and him saying, well, hey, I'm a Mercury astronaut. Isn't that great? Um, uh, yeah. um, that's one of the things I was talking about when I was saying about history spoilers. Um, you know, It's dramatized. What you're, what you're dancing around is dramatized in the beginning of the next episode okay. when the three astronauts uh, die in, the, in a in test. In a fire. What's called a plugs plugs out test a month before their scheduled launch. There was an electrical fire in their in the cabin. I'll just read this straight from Wikipedia. The fire's ignition source was never determined, but their deaths were attributed to a wide range of lethal hazards in the early Apollo command module design and conditions of the test, including a pressurized 100 oxygen pre-launch atmosphere, many wiring and plumbing flaws, flammable materials used in the cockpit and in the astronauts' flight suits, and an inward opening hatch which could not be opened quickly in an emergency and could not be opened at all with full internal pressure. Who were the other two astronauts? Um, so that would have been... Who were the other two astronauts? It's Virgil Gus Grissom, right. Edward H. White, and Roger okay. Chaffee. Yeah, I I knew... I I thought that's who it was. I knew that Grissom was, was one of them, and I was trying to remember whether it was White. Yeah. Um, that, interestingly enough, one of my notes is that I don't remember the um the airplane crash that they're talking about i don't think that made a huge splash like they were afraid of um probably because it was an airplane crash and Mm -hmm. also because the astronauts had not gone up in people didn't know their names and stuff like they did um gus grissom and white and chaffee um yeah poor steve's on (laughs) I like the scene at the school where the teacher's like, when I told the kids that Steve Zahn was coming, they were all like, who? Captain C? Captain's not necessary. I'm a civilian. 
We're having our PTA book fair on the 22nd, and we would love it if NASA could arrange another astronaut visit. Well, I'd be happy to pass this along to the public affairs office. When I told the kids that astronaut Elliot C. was coming, they all said, who? They think every astronaut is John Glenn. Um, but I'm sure they will be glued to the TV when you make your space shot. With such a suit, why anyone could take a walk in space or even a walk on the moon. There you are, snug as a bug in a rug. For a penguin, I mean. Hey, where are you going? Yeah, and it, it's true. The whole thing of um, Glenn, I don't know. Have you guys seen The Right Stuff or no. read the book? No. No? The good right movie. No. Really good movie. Fun. You'd, you'd enjoy it. I think you'd enjoy it. It's uh, it tells the how they got the original seven Mercury astronauts and the kind of hell they put them through. Um, and uh, and one of the things that they keep going through is how it seems like no matter what, um, like they picked Shepard to be the first one up, but somehow John Glenn keeps getting the spotlight. He's like the glamour boy, you know, and um, and when he finally does go up like third or fourth or whatever whatever it was he's the first american to orbit the earth finally and um and so it was like oh were you saving john glenn for orbiting the earth and you know Shepard is not too thrilled about the fact that he was just upstaged by someone who went like three people after him but um so there's that whole thing and you guys know that he became a congressman right Mm -hmm. yeah okay so I haven't seen the right stuff. I have seen the Simpsons episode where Barney and Homer go. <laughs> oh, in space. okay. Well, it's probably the same. I I haven't seen that episode. Um, but uh, yeah, so the right stuff. It's a really good book. They were going to do, um, and then they made a movie out of it. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it was an exciting time in many ways. I mean, it really it was serious stuff. The whole the whole Cold War. Everything is competition with the Russians thing. It was infused throughout the society. The way you describe it makes me think of how I I think of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the Olympics are starting. I'm going to watch so much stuff. I'm going to watch cycling. I'm going to watch fencing. I'm going to watch gymnastics. And then after a week of it, you're like, is this thing still going on? Yeah. Well, that was one of the things. If um, if you got, Did everybody see Apollo 13? Long time ago. Yes. A long, a long time, time ago, ago, yeah. One of the things... I owned it on VHS. One of the... <laughs> One of the things you might remember from Apollo 13 was the um, the fact that they couldn't get TV time anymore, that nobody was paying attention, and and people were bored with um, even with moon landings. That uh, it's like, oh, you know, we can't get the audience for live space coverage, and then Apollo 13 happened, and. Um, that I remember very well. I was a lot older by that point, and uh, there were announcements being made. Um, I was I was in high school by then, and there were announcements being made like all day as we would get reports in about the astronauts and whether you know they were whether they were likely to get back or not. I mean, we were all just kind of holding our breath that these guys were in space and they might or might not get back and and uh, there would be updates as as we got news and things so yeah for those all those years basically growing up that was the whole space thing was a huge part of of life 
in in those decades. Sounds like it was shoved down your throat. <laughs> to some degree, but I mean, as I say, you know, it wasn't like, oh God, why are they telling us about these guys who might die out in space? It wasn't. No, like it's a big deal. It's a big it was, deal. I get it. It was a but... huge deal, and and it was really like you know everybody wanted them to get back. Okay, I mean, yeah. it was just. Yeah, you know, yeah. Sure. It was it was teeth. You know, it was nail biting time. Mm. You know, for and you know everybody when that announcement would come on, everybody would get really quiet. Just you know, because we were all afraid that that's what we were going to hear was that you know they weren't going to get back. And um, when the f- fired happened, that was the first. I mean, now we've had Challenger and we've had you know, um, um, the other one. It just slipped my mind what the other one's name was. Um, I know the the one that was like in 2003 yeah, or something. Yeah, the, the most right. recent one. Yeah, I can barely remember that was one. That, no, I want to say it was like Columbia, Columbia, or something? Columbia. It was Columbia. So Challenger in Columbia. But when when the fire happened that took Grissom and and White and Chaffee, that was the first time there had been a um an accident with the the space program. You know. Having to do with the the rockets and stuff, they'd taken anyone's life, and that was huge. When they asked astronaut Krista McAuliffe if she was going to take a shower before the Challenger launch, she said, "No, I'll just wash the movie." <laughs> oh no! Oh, that's important. That, <laughs> yeah, but uh, the the uh, fire thing made time. I remember seeing in Time Magazine and Newsweek and so forth. They had you know huge stories on what had happened and everything else. So that hit people really hard. So. Um, what was up with all the Woody Woodpecker NASA cartoons? Was that a real <laughs> oh, thing you that know, happened? That was an interesting kind of... Were, uh, those, bit of that, uh, were those made specifically for NASA? Were the public available to, or able to see those or what? I assume so. They were made for NASA, but they would have been available. But in those days, you didn't have the same kind of availability. If they weren't shown on TV... They'd been shown in like the movie theater. Um... Yeah, but probably they were, yeah, yeah. Like, like as a pre, like a pre-show to the movie. NASA had a huge outreach to the public. So for instance, when my brother sent in a letter to them saying that he, you know, wanted to be an astronaut someday or something, I don't know what he wrote. They sent him a huge package with, you know, like star charts and. Wow. Pictures of the moon. That's and, really cool. You know, all kinds of stuff. They sent him like this huge package of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, you don't, you wouldn't, probably wouldn't get an answer, but, um, I was thinking when I saw those Woody Woodpecker cartoons, I was like, that's what we need to do now to educate the public about any number of issues that I can think of, like 15 or 20 just come right out of my mind. We need cartoons. We need to, (laughs) you know, I mean, let's get back on the stick here and and it's a shame that most it's a shame that most of the animation industry is pretty rotten and dirty. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah, well, I know. Well, who cares? That's a part of the problem too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, if if we could get through, if we could get use anything to educate the public about, you know, some of the more yep. complex issues, bring Woody back. I always liked Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> the kids were not impressed by that cartoon, but those yeah. adults yeah, were laughing the, hysterically. Yeah. Big belly laughs. Yeah. 
It was not funny, guys. Those cigar dudes were so judgy, not. too. Like, like, they were like, oh, like... I like what? how they're heckling the, re- the yeah, astronaut. but then they're like, oh, Woody Woodpecker, <laughs> best! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I imagine they're drunk at this point, somehow. Somehow they got their hands on the I just like liquor. that this was an, uh, an 11th annual astronaut's pancake breakfast. Like, that, that just delighted me to no end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're an astronaut? Come back when you've been to space. Yeah. Asshole. Yeah. There was uh, one scene where they were walking and talking with rifles and stuff, and it was so strange because they were, like, doing a crossfade, and the, the shots they were fading between were almost identical. So it was just, like, these guys walking down in real time just randomly started to fade into each other into almost the exact same spot. I like think they were trying to give the impression... I, I thought they were trying to give the impression that time was kind of passing... And they were kind of doing. Yeah, they were, but they didn't let them walk rambling. far enough ahead between yeah. fades, between crossfades. Yeah. So it was, that almost was fading that, to the exact same shot almost. Yeah, that was when they were talking to Gus Grissom about being on the Apollo program. There wasn't anything really remarkable about the direction no. on this, but it wasn't distracting like it was on, on Oz. There, in that last shot where they were talking about the Apollo mission and how, you know, one of the people in the room was going to be. Um, the first man on the moon and second, third, and fourth, and all that. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot of familiar faces in there. And more than, I guess, because there were a lot of just long shots on each face, it was like, oh, and is that, was that Brian Cranston in there? Yep. Yes. Please. Yes, he was, he played Buzz was the best. Oh, okay. oh, well, that's cool. It was the best because I love that scene where he's like riding the shuttle. That's <laughs> so badass. <laughs> yeah. Like slim, like slim Pickens? Yeah. When he has the Nintendo Power Glove? <laughs> yes, it was yeah! so <laughs> In one of the luckiest coincidences of the space program, Edwin Buzz Aldrin, who had worked on orbital rendezvous for his doctoral thesis at MIT, was seated in the right-hand seat of Jiminy 12 when the onboard computer suddenly refused to accept data from the rendezvous radar. Using an eight-power sextant and charts developed in the case of just such a malfunction, Aldrin guided Commander Jim Lovell to a successful rendezvous and docking with the Agena target vehicle. This was an important moment for NASA, as it proves the skills honed during the 10 Gemini missions can overcome potentially catastrophic problems, problems that could arise on a flight as crammed as Gemini 12. In four days, the crew is expected to dock twice more with the Agena, using its rocket engine to send them into an even higher orbit around the Earth. Three spacewalks. Dr. Rendezvous himself, Buzz Aldrin, will perform experiments, photograph star fields, and remain outside the capsule longer than any astronaut to date, using modified handrails and equipment specifically designed for work in zero gravity. For Lovell, who remain inside the spacecraft, these four days of orbiting the Earth together with the 14 days aboard Gemini 7, will make him the most traveled man in history. I was like, ah, you're my hero, Buzz Aldrin. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's an amazing guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's actually from uh right around where I here where I am. Nice. Yeah, he uh I don't know what happened to it, but uh at uh one of the colleges I attended and and worked at, there was an autographed picture of him um on the moon and uh like hanging on the wall in the hallway at the college. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, and I kept thinking to myself, hmm, that seems like it should be in a more secure place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would think. Yeah, it was just in the hallway by the theater. And, uh, yeah. He's a Jersey um, boy. In the, in the interest of time, let's, uh, dip into Harold's feedback about this one. Let me see if I lost it though, just a second. Here we go. I'll just read it. As for the moon show, it just dragged for me. I turned it off after a half <gasps> hour. As someone old enough to remember televised space missions, I get that they were trying to recreate the look and feel of how TV audiences at the time experienced them, watching rows of white guys in short-sleeved white shirts and ties behind their consoles reciting techie jargon. But when you remove the suspense of watching it live and seeing history unfold, it was never visually exciting or interesting to watch. And I didn't care for the heavy-handed soundtrack music, which felt very 1990s. In any event, I am looking forward to what comes next. I actually kind of liked the music. It was I found it inspirational, though extremely overdone. Yes, yeah, but yeah, I thought the music was extremely inspirational, but it did not match up with the visuals. I didn't think the visuals were all that uh, exciting or interesting. So it it felt like uh, the music was trying to sell me on something that wasn't wasn't there. Mm. Trying a little too hard. Mm-hmm. Steven, do you have, can you see Skype chat? Yes, I can. I just posted an excerpt from a, mm-hmm. from Ray Richmond's review in Variety. Mm-hmm. If you want to read that Got for it. us. Uh, if there was a fear going in, it was that Tom Hanks, or Hanks, uh, admitted space freak that he is, would it's use good. his full cooperation from NASA to fashion a rah-rah wet kiss of a miniseries. That he and producers Brian Krasen, Ron Howard, and Michael Bostick have instead created a complex anthology about the Apollo space program and its legendary players without stooping to patriotic mumbo-jumbo that is is close to miraculous. Uh, more unlikely still, the ambitious project rolled out in two-hour installments over six successive Sundays accomplishes all this through the radically different artistic styles and attitudes of its numerous teams of writers and directors. Each hour plays like a mini-movie, Definitely blending vintage news footage with the new. Hands-on Hanks was wise enough to delegate enough freedom for individual creativity to flow forth. It also doesn't hurt that the acting here is uniformly superb. Of the first four hours supplied for review by HBO, the first, the Hanks directed Can We Do This, is the most dramatically linear, condensing years into minutes to explore the space program leading up to Apollo, President Kennedy's vow to land a man on the moon by the end of the 1960s. It plays up the beat, beat the Russians' paranoia and the behind-the-scenes jockeying that colored the Mercury and Gemini missions, with standout performances from David Andrews as astronaut Frank Borman and Ted Levine as Alan Shepard. There's glorious photography by Gail Tattersall and effects by Ernest Farno, Farino and his team. Second hour, Apollo 1, from writer Graham Yost and director David Frankel, dissects the tragedy of the pre-launch fire that killed astronauts Gus Grissom, Mark Rolston, Ed White, 
Chris Isaac, and Roger Chaffee, Ben Marley. Uh, during a routine test that nearly derailed the Apollo program before he got off the ground. It digs into the politics, the finger-pointing, and the head-scratching investigation, with particular stellar work from Kevin Pollack as NASA man Joseph Shea and uh, James Robhorn playing rocket exec Harrison Storms. And there's more, sorry. <laughs> Where are we? Uh, oh, more? Okay. Uh, Sequent uh, hours look at uh, the lunar module from the prism of uh, Apollo 9 at the Apollo 11 missions and Neil Armstrong's momentous first steps on the moon, the tensions surrounding Apollo 13 from the vantage point of the covering media, the profile of the Apollo wives, and the arcane, arcane world of lunar geography. Based on the first four hours, the spirit and vitality of From the Earth, based in part on the Andrew Chaikin book, A Man on the Moon, made for a true TV event, its cinematic quality matched by the boldness of its belief that people can again be made to care about the quest largely abandoned by mankind a quarter century ago. Hanks clearly still believes in the dream, and through this trip back into space, he just might inspire others to do a little dreaming too. So who uh, who plays the, um, what is it, Francis Ford Coppola, who directed the moon landing? Who plays that in the series? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it uh, happened at the moon landing. Um, my great aunts were up from Oklahoma, and uh, we were all at the Waldorf Astoria because they were up here for a, a religious convention of some sort or another. And we're sitting there in the Waldorf Astoria watching people, you know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walking on the moon. And they come in and say, oh, Carol Jean, Carol Jean, you know, come out to the hall for a minute. And I'm sort of looking at my mom and saying, but but there's people walking on the moon. And she's like, go, just go. I go out there and they had called me away from people walking on the moon to ask me if I needed to go to the bathroom before we left. Because wow. they didn't want to ask me in front of my brother and my dad, because <laughs> you know, ladies did not have bodily functions, and so here I was dealing with like these Victorian women while trying to watch men walking on the moon. <laughs> it was an interesting evening. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it was Stanley Kubrick who uh, who directed the moon landing. Oh, okay. <laughs> thanks for clarifying. Uh, that makes fake, sense. Fake news. <laughs> Well, he had that experience already from 2001. Uh, this just seems like that's just parents, like not understanding what's important to their kid at the, at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my mom understood, but she was like, you know, just just go along with it. But my great aunts were, <laughs> you figure they were born in the 1890s, so. Did she ask you to take the garbage out when the Beatles were on, uh, Ed <laughs> <laughs> <Ed> Sullivan? <laughs> <Ed> Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> Carol just misses all the big moments <laughs> in television because of her yeah, mother. Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? What just happened? <laughs> yeah. No, it's over. <laughs> you, yeah. you missed it. <laughs> Darn. Again. <laughs> yeah. It was it was pretty silly. The I mean, even at the time the I time. <laughs> yeah, even at the time I recognized it as being <laughs> so aside from being pulled away, was that like a momentous event in your life? Could you say that's in the top ten or something? Um, I never really thought about it that way. 
it was memorable. I mean, you know, it's there's various memorable things where I think everybody who was like conscious at that time remembers where they were. For my parents, it was Pearl Harbor. Um, I I remember where I was when Kennedy when we found out Kennedy was assassinated, when people walked on the moon, when 9/11 happened, when the Challenger blew up. You know, there's certain things that you just remember, and pretty much everybody, you know, it's like a common, common thing. So that is one of those common things. Um, where did you watch when men first walked on the moon? I've posted a dissenting review of From the Earth to the Moon titled We Do Not Have Liftoff <laughs> by James Collins, Time Magazine. Uh, who would like to I read this I still can't one? see anything on message. I read it. Mel, take it. Take it. Just seize it. I'm seizing the text. Based on the five parts available for viewing, this miniseries is anything but a vanity project. Rather, it is a diligent, well-crafted work that never spins out of control despite its grandiose conception. And yet, as anyone with an ear for faint praise can tell by now, (laughs) it's pretty dull. That may seem hard to believe, given the subject matter. Space exploration! But watching from the Earth to the Moon induces a state of cognitive dissonance. The acting is first-rate, the details look right, still, the overall effect is boredom. How can this be? The simplest explanation is that the story from the Earth to the Moon tries to tell is too vast to be contained, even in 12 hours. The movie Apollo 13 was a success, largely because of its simple, intense narrative. Guys go up in space, look as if they'll die, succeed in not dying. (laughs) The miniseries is much more diffuse. Hanks and his colleagues have tried to be selective, but the smaller stories they tell either are not the right ones or are not dramatized effectively. For example, episode 2, set in 67, concerns the investigation into the causes of fire on Apollo 1 that killed three men. The technical sleuthing is mildly interesting, and the two engineers at the center of the tale are sympathetic, yet the episode never crackles. The hour that follows focuses on Wally Skira, leader of the- Oh, sorry. Wally Shira. Shira. Wally Shira. Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah, I had no idea how to pronounce it. Wally Shira, leader of the Apollo 7 mission, who is played by Mark Harmon. In an irritating device, Peter Horton is a documentary filmmaker who questions Shira and others. The result is an aimless string of interviews. Shira talks more than he acts, and the story has no drive. The only source of suspense in the Shira episode is a worry over the winds on the day of liftoff. Surely, if three men are going to sit on a skyscraper-sized tube of rocket fuel and then be sent into space for 11 days, there must be more exciting matters to dwell on. In general, the miniseries fails to give the viewer a good sense of the purposes and risks of the missions. That's not surprising, since scientific information is so hard to convey in a drama. The result, though, is that we don't appreciate the challenges NASA faced, or the ingenious ways it met them. In view of this flaw, and the failure to bring individuals really alive, one wonders if a documentary approach would have been preferable to a dramatization. It would have provided more clarity, and very possibly more emotion. As Ken Burns has demonstrated, a documentary need not be dry. There are other problems. The flat, earnest tone. The lack of any bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) The Russians are there. The communists! (laughs) 
evil communist. <laughs> the by now familiar recreation of mission control. Ultimately, though, from the Earth to the Moon suffers from a fundamental problem that its creators could do nothing about. The Moon missions were a disappointment. They were thrilling while they took place, but that effect dissipated quickly in the 70s, as NASA lots lost its way. Mankind's giant leap never seemed to take us beyond rocks and golf shots. Hanks may want to restore NASA's glory, but on the evidence so far, he hasn't succeeded. Like its subject, from the Earth to the Moon is contrary to all expectations. A bit of a dud. Womp womp. That hmm. Actually, that reminded me of one thing I was thinking about when when they were doing the Shepard mission. Um, that, there, you know, there wasn't a lot of time for them to do the little, the little stuff that happened. And whereas A Few Good Men, for instance, um, really takes its time about each of the first however many missions and how it was affecting the astronauts. And Shepard, as a matter of fact, uh, Buzz Aldrin, I think, just told the story on Star Talk with, uh, um, Neil, uh, DeGrasse Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Yeah. Um, that Shepard, because they they hadn't expected Shepard to be in the capsule longer than, you know, a couple hours or whatever, they really had not, at that point, they had not made any um, any accommodations for having to urinate. But there was a delay, and he was in that rocket for hours before launch, oh, strapped in. And eventually, he just had to go, and he just went in his suit. Aww. And in A Few Good Men, one of the things they have is like all the electronics in the suit that are to check his heart and everything else are just shorting out because they've just encountered a lot of liquid. Did I see that lately, <laughs> wow. that, speaking of which, that someone in invented like a, a poop, like a diaper for astronauts and they won an award for it? I have no idea. I saw idea. that recently. I saw that recently in the news. It was like some some sort of poop compartment for astronauts. Wasn't there a a, NAS, a female astronaut who, who drove from like I don't know Texas to Florida or something to and she wore a diaper for the entire so she could get there like without stopping because oh she was gonna I don't I, know murder her yeah. fiance for her boyfriend or oh something. Matter was I mean I remember that I remember who you're talking about. It was kooky. I gotta it look this up. Kooky. It was very kooky. It was weird. Yeah, I I didn't think she was an astronaut. I thought she, I don't know. Uh, maybe, but maybe I remember not. the story you were talking about. Yes, there was a woman who she uh, she wore diapers and stuff, and she was trying to get somewhere to kill somebody. Oh God! Mel loves Buzz Aldrin, by the way. I already mentioned that. Oh, did you? Yeah, because he cause of, just <laughs> just purely because he punched that guy in the face that said the moon landing was fake. Yeah. I was like, that's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I say, Jersey boy. <laughs> a former astronaut banished from NASA oh. after she attacked a romantic rival has been kicked out of the Navy. Her name is Lisa Nowak. She was accused of confronting a woman at the Orlando airport in 2007 and attacking her in a darkened parking lot over an alleged love triangle with a former shuttle Ooh. pilot. She drove 1,000 miles from Houston to confront Air Force Captain Colleen Shipman about former space shuttle pilot Bill... I'm not, I don't know, I can't pronounce his last name. I, yeah, I remember she, she drove a thousand miles and she, uh, allegedly used diapers along the way so she wouldn't have to stop. Yeah. I remember. Then she denied that she did. Yeah. I, re I, I remembered the washed out. I, there was, I knew she was, she had like, was washed out or something. She wasn't still an astronaut when she did that. Um, God. yeah. Making allowances for, um, 
urinating in the shuttle, they didn't make much allowances for motion sickness because they had a share of yeah. barf bag. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't afford more than one paper yeah. bag. <laughs> Weighs a lot, you know. The taxpayers just can't justify the second barf bag. <laughs> <laughs> they can share. I feel like as an astronaut, um, you really like would be uh, toughened up to any kind of like hardship you would have to face. So you wouldn't care if you had to share a barf bag. The, you really do have to see a, a few good men. Yeah. <laughs> the first, the first seven um, Mercury astronauts are all test pilots, um, and they put them through a lot of nonsense that they didn't need to put them through. A few good men are the right, the right stuff. stuff. I mean, not a few good men. The right stuff. Okay. Sorry, the right stuff. Um, they and they go through like all the crazy. That's one reason it's it gets pretty funny in various parts. Um, just because of the ridiculousness that these poor guys are having to go through. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they, they have to be them. sure that they'll be able to handle it, right? So yeah, and also you know you get the feeling that they kind of just want to make sure that they would do what they were told, no matter how crappy it was. Yeah. And, you know, these guys really wanted to go into space. <laughs> yeah. In the book is I read the book too and the book is really good because it really talks about I mean the movie gives you the idea but the book really really um pounds in the whole test pilot way of thinking where that matches what you hear about astronauts and what you hear on the recordings with Lovell and Apollo 13 and everything else and that's the whole thing of, okay, something went wrong. What do you do next? Okay, we tried that. That didn't work. What do you do next? Okay, what's the next thing? You know, and you just keep going through, um, until you fix it or you crash. You know, you just, you know, you just don't give up. Just nerves of steel type thing. Hey, we got some audio feedback Whoa. from Will. Hey! Hey guys, this is Will. Um, sorry I haven't been keeping up with phase two, but I will get caught up one day. I just couldn't pass up on the opportunity to send in my thoughts about one of my favorite TV shows from that era. Maybe one of my favorite shows of all time. And that is, uh, yeah, I, 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 it was, you know, I say that it's responsible for this age, this golden age of TV that we're in, this peak TV era we're in. I know a lot of people will say that shows like Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue paved the way for Oz, but I've given credit to Oz for starting this, because without Oz, we may never have gotten The Sopranos, which was the first super huge popular show like this. Maybe you talked about all this already, but if it wasn't for Oz... Yeah, I don't think we would have gotten The Sopranos and all these other grid. That's the word they were used back then, gritty TV shows back then. And that led the way to, you know, Breaking Bad and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I just remember watching that first episode back in my room in Jackson, Mississippi. It was the summer after my senior year of high school. I was getting ready to go off to college and I watched this episode and my little teenage jaw just mm-hmm. dropped to the floor when they killed off the main character first episode. Now, I didn't get a chance to rewatch the episode this week, so I'm doing this for memory. I believe he was 
presented as the main character and they just killed him off. And since then, I've seen at least one other show that I won't name that did that in their first episode. Um, and I went off to college that next semester and I got HBO in my dorm room so I could keep watching the show. And wherever I was, whether I was at school or, you know, working for the semester in New Orleans, I always made sure I had HBO so I could watch Oz. Uh, like a lot of shows do now, you know, they'll start off their first season or two with eight episodes. And if they get popular, they'll extend the seasons. I think Oz was the first show, the first show that I watched that did that. And also they were the first show that did split seasons. I think they started that with their fourth season. So, and you also see a lot of stars from other shows. I saw them for the first time on Oz. Um, so I definitely recommend anyone to continue watching the show. I'm planning on starting a rewatch like sometime soon, probably this year. As far as from Earth to Moon, um, I remember watching it. I think I watched it during that time period I mentioned where I didn't have cable and started using Netflix disc rentals to watch shows that I had missed. That's when I saw Deadwood and Six Feet Under and the talking shows like that. I think I watched From Earth to the Moon and I remember liking it, but not as much as another HBO a series I had just seen, which was Band of Brothers. Um, so anyway, I will talk to you guys later. Hopefully be on the show sometime soon. Bye. I will. <laughs> Thanks, Will. But we all know you only like the show. Thank you, we Will. all know you only like the show because of the rotating jail cell. <laughs> <laughs> that is what caught him. Yeah. <laughs> My friend used to mail me VHS tapes of Oz because I was at university and he would he had HBO, so he recorded them all on like a tape, like six episodes on a tape, and would mail That's them funny. to me. Yeah, so I remember mentioned- Oz being huge. I mean, I I heard about it a lot. I was- didn't have HBO and never saw it. You mentioned uh, another series where they killed off the, the main character. You didn't mention the name of it, but I'd be interested to see how that one plays out. You know, I know, um, you know, Game of Thrones likes to kill off players left and right, but not in the first episode. That that seems that seems odd. Joss Whedon had wanted to do that on Buffy. He had he had wanted to put um, oh, what's his name? The one who's killed in the in the Eric Balfour. Jesse. Yeah, whatever his mm-hmm. name is in the thing. Um, he had wanted to put him in the opening credits along with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and, and Nick Brendan and, uh, you know, that whole group. He had, But it was too expensive for them to put it in. And then later on he said, well, maybe it wouldn't have been such a good idea anyway because he kind of did that with, with Tara later on. So I never um, understood why it would be so expensive. Like, it would literally take... Me, I, I as know, a video I, editor, it would take me two minutes. You know, it seems like it. Maybe it has to do with paying the actor or something. Like a oh, salary maybe. thing? I don't know. I know that, you know, I mean, later on, they they changed the credits for, like, um, the one where Jonathan is, you know, a big deal, we'll say. Um, they changed the credits in, entirely for that. But their budget might have been a whole lot different rather than for the first episode of an untried vampire high school series from a movie. I know that the first episode of Lost, uh, Jack was supposed to die at the end. He should have. (laughs) (laughs) Credits and barf bags, they're just too expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Assembled here are those of you that are left from the original seven Mercury astronauts, as well as the new nine or the next nine or 
whatever you guys call yourselves, <laughs> and some of the third group. The crew assignments that will be made concern you in the following manner. The men in this room will be making the moon landings. Two of you will be first. I don't know which two that will be, but I do know that the first man to walk on the moon walked into this room today and is looking at me right now, as well as the second, the third, the fourth, and so on. thought you might want to know that. That is all, gentlemen. All right, let's rate this thing. Steven, so of first. the two uh, text reviews that we read, uh, I'm leaning more to the the second one. Um, you know where where he says that um, uh, the acting's well done, the 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 set looks right, but overall it's just boredom, and that's kind of how I felt watching the the first episode. Do, does that make me un-American? <laughs> I feel a little no. guilty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would get makes you a yeah, comment. Right? I would give this a generous three, like mm, three barf bags. Okay, Matt. Um, uh, I mean, I like historical things. It was okay from a technical standpoint, but it moved too fast. You don't get to know anyone, and like, I guess. From the sounds of those other reviews, the other episodes slow it down some, but this moved way too fast. The scenes were short. You never had more than two or three scenes with the same character. You didn't get to know anyone, so I never felt invested. It just felt like it was going through the numbers of history. Um, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Um, Oh, I I didn't do a... A rating. I'll do a seven out of ten. Jiminy's not Gemini's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, it's. I I wish it would have been better. It, everything was kind of oddly paced, and that even like even from the start with the Tom Hanks narration, I was like, this is weird. It's just <laughs> everything was just so weird. Um, yeah. Uh. Yeah, it could have been more. It could have been better. Um, I'm going to give it a... Uh, I still liked it, though. Uh, 7 out of 11 annual pancake breakfasts. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I have really mixed emotions about it because I actually enjoyed it. But I think one of the reasons I enjoyed it was because it, it didn't have a lot of stuff that I already... I mean, it, it touched on things I already knew just as touchstones and i think i think they may have written and done this series expecting people to have seen um 
A Few Good Men, The Right Stuff, whatever the movie was. Now I'm all confused. Um, the Right Stuff. Have seen The Right Stuff, have seen Apollo 13, have seen, you know, other documentaries and stuff like that. And as though it was just telling you the behind the scenes stuff, that was kind of the feeling I got that it was more about what was going on politically behind the scenes rather than the cool stuff that they were doing, like the one reviewer said, or, um, or the little stories that were going on that are fascinating. Um, so I enjoyed it, but I can't deny that it's true that it, it was too quick. I mean, I was having a hard time keeping straight who was who or, you know, recognizing it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That was a familiar name. Oh, wait a minute. What was, huh? What? So even though I knew everybody's name already, it still was hard for me to, to catch them all as they flew by. Um, so I had a higher rating when I first finished watching it than I kind of do once I think about it for a while. Um, mm-hmm. but I, as I say, I enjoyed it because I, it was, I like backstage kind of stuff and they did hit on some things I didn't know. Um, so I'll give it, uh, Eight out of ten gravity defying defying rocket ships. <laughs> I also like space stuff. I like history stuff and backstage stuff. But this did not feel very dramatically exciting. Um, felt kind of inert. Um, I agree with Matt. There, it moved at such a pace that although not feeling very exciting. They burn through a lot of stuff so quickly. Like I, I don't know who any of these people are, and it seemed like every every time I got, I saw one white male face, I saw another one, and I couldn't tell them apart. <laughs> even though they were giving us little titles at the bottom of the screen, saying, "Oh, this is Buzz Aldrin. This is um, some other guy, <laughs> Neil Armstrong," and having no like personal uh, connection to any of these events, it I'm, I'm watching it at like such a distance that I can't even say, "Oh, that reminds me of when." Like there's no nostalgic connection for me either, and and I really wanted to engage with it because I liked the tone of it. It was optimistic and inspirational, and I really liked the um, the scene at the end of the table where Nick Cersei says, "the the guy the first guy to walk on the moon walked uh-huh. into this room." I thought that was a that was a great yeah. speech. A lot of little elements to this that I liked, but it never popped for me. But I think I would watch another episode because from what I understand from reading those reviews, they all sound a little different. One reviewer said they're kind of like mini-movies because they're approached with a different director and a different uh, agenda. So I think I'd watch another one. I would maybe watch the uh, Astronaut Wives one. Um, What Sounds like Carol would watch another one. Matt Mel? I'd give it one more shot. I... Would you watch the next one, or would you skip ahead to something that maybe like the Apollo 13 one or the Moon Landing? I'd one watch or... the next one. I hate skipping around. <laughs> I'd watch okay. the whole series. Just, right. you know, I would. And I might. As a matter of fact, I probably will if I can find it. Yeah. Oh, good. If it was on Netflix, I think I'd, I'd watch it in the background while I did something else. But uh, I'll just give it a... I'm going to go... I liked it more than Oz, I think, only because I've seen Oz and it's that's so dark. Uh, so I'll give it six and a half out of ten Nintendo Power Moves, <laughs> which makes the average a six point. Well, now the problem is that I, you know, I really want to like watch a few good men. I mean, the right stuff. Sorry, I keep saying that. Do the right yeah, thing. Yeah, whatever, whatever <laughs> the name is. The right stuff. I want to like watch it with you guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Now I'm very <laughs> frustrated here because it's like, let's put on a few good men and all watch, I mean, uh, write stuff and watch it all together. I don't know why I keep doing that. It's like I'm possessed. Um, Names of things. <laughs> just keep throwing titles out at me. I'd watch it. Is that on Netflix or do I have to track it's it down? It's probably on Netflix or, I mean, it, I can... It, Let's find it's not that. a HBO I'm, production. I don't even know what it's not it's a HBO production. You uh, can't do it. The right stuff. <laughs> ah, not available to stream. Anywhere? What about on Prime? Oh, I'm sure the somewhere. Next HBO program that it has historical background is Band of Brothers, if I'm remembering correctly. And I, that they do correct. they do their episodes. They do the whole miniseries much better. Um. And, you know, they still open with that narration. You know, it's not Tom Hanks, it's other guys. But I, I'd be interested to hear the reviews of Band of Brothers uh, and kind of compare back to, to this earlier uh, now, series. what does Band of Brothers, what historical thing does Band of Brothers deal with? That's the, World yeah, War II, World right? War II. That's the, the U.S. entry into the European campaign. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with that when it was... When it was on, before it started, and while it was airing, it was. I think that's probably the best miniseries I've ever seen. Um, is that talk? Are we talking about D Day or what are we talking? Yeah. So first episode is training in the states. Second episode is actually D Day, uh, and then it goes through the entire uh, European campaign. There's a follow-on called the Pacific, which deals with U.S. soldiers in the Pacific campaign. Which I've never seen. I love Band of Brothers, but I've never seen the Pacific. And I believe both of those have Tom Hanks also as a producer, so it's so. kind of interesting. Yeah, the Pacific was hard for me to get into. I don't know. I just didn't. It didn't quite grab me. The characters as as much as Band mm. of Brothers. A discussion for a later. My time. favorite Band of Brothers installment was Bastone. I think that's just a phenomenal. Maybe I'll come back for that one. There, there might be a, a, a lot of people wanting to go on for that one. Well, we're pairing that one up with Six Feet Under, so I think Robin has that one locked down. Robin's a big Six Feet Under fan. He did Fisher Cast, a Six Feet Under retrospective. I'm going to have to look at my DVDs and see if I've got the right stuff um, and whether I could, like, rip it or not. Send it to all of you. I think I can get it from the library. You've got me intrigued. I want to see it. It's, it's, it's you know, and, it's got... And it's 98% on Rotten yeah, Tomatoes. Yeah, it's got a, a very light tone to it. And so it's, you know, it's a fun watch. It's, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, uh, yeah, it's light. It's not, it's not, uh, dour or anything. It doesn't take itself very seriously at all. Do you want to know what we're going to watch yes. next time? Yes. We're going to watch a little show called The Sopranos. Oh, snap. Good. And a miniseries called The Corner by David Simon, which is regarded as sort of the precursor to The Wire. Yeah, I've seen that. Baltimore. More Baltimore. More Baltimore stuff. Baltimore. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Sopranos, I mean, I've never seen it. And I've been hearing for years and years about, you know, where they filmed around here. And, uh, oh, yeah, they filmed The Sopranos in this spot. And that's what. I mean, it's mostly south of here, but... um, Sopranos yeah. was filmed in Baltimore? No, New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> Sopranos was formed. No, they, he was saying the Baltimore thing was uh, the other one, the corner. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that was Baltimore. Chronicling West Baltimore family living in poverty in the front lines of America's Sopranos. Now, w- weren't the Sopranos supposed to live on Long Island? Uh, but 
they filmed a lot in New Jersey or? No, they live in Jersey. They lived in Jersey? Yeah. Where were they supposed to live in Jersey? Within a car drive from the city, because that's the opening credit, you know, the opening montage. That's a lot of New Jersey. Yeah, that could be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I know that, as I say, there's a lot of, especially south of here, there's a lot of places that they used in the filming and, and stuff. And that was like one of the things that, you know, people would use to amuse themselves is watch the Sopranos and, and recognize, you know, things from all over. But I also understand there was some stuff about just like when people film in Las Vegas and you like the angel episode in Las Vegas where people were like, oh, one they walk out the door and they're in one part of town and they cross the street and they're, oh. you know, on the other side. Yeah, that was me. That was me. that was me. Didn't they leave the Tropicana? How are they like? Downtown yeah, exactly. Now? Well, apparently it's the same way with the Sopranos. How are they in Glitter Gulch if they just left the Tropicana? Yeah, where you know they're they're in one they're in a diner in one place that's you know well known, and they get in their car, and all of a sudden you know three minutes later they're in another part of the state, and it's like okay, but yeah. So I've been wanting to see the Sopranos for a long time. Well, you're going to watch at least Sounds the good. pilot, hopefully next month. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Where can people find you on the internet? Or do you have any projects or uh, anything you want to plug, promote? Yeah, you know, I'm on Facebook, of course. Um, I don't really do too much social media. But, uh, you know, I, I will promote, uh, I do a, a local gaming group. It's an RPG group. Um, you know, just it's called Colesville Indie RPG Group. You know, we do tabletop RPG. So if you're in the area, in the in Silver Spring, Maryland kind of area, um, you know, look me up and uh, I'll introduce you. Even if it's for a night, you know, we we can try and squeeze you into one of the you know our RPG sessions. I was cool. playing D and D last night. There you go. I I was supposed to be playing D and D last night, and I had car trouble. Mm-hmm. I am. I am finding that I chose well for a release on the stuff that's going on in the world right now, as far as character goes. Mm-hmm. You get the rage out. Steven, you posted something in the Skype here. Do you want yes, to read that Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the uh, poem that uh, Poet talks about in the, uh, the episode of Oz that we watched. So in, in my best Poet um, impersonation, forgive me. I could have sworn I seen the motherfucker in my cell going through my personal effects. He fingered his finger in my cigarettes, came out like nothing was happening, whistling his tune. So I mushed his ass, like move, motherfucker, make room. Hey, ain't that my cigarette hanging off the tip of your lip? I didn't even give him a chance for he confession. Just leveled his ass through all that aggression. Left, right to the dolex, ha ha ha. Foots to the chest, uppercut to the grill. I'm like kill, he's like chill. Take that for for even being in this place. Take that for that fucking CEO baton across my face. Take that for the lawyer who don't give a fucks about me. And feel this, feel this for me being enslaved by poverty. Motherfucker, give me them damn cigarettes. Oh, these are Marlboros. I, I don't even smoke these. Right <laughs> <laughs> home at the end. I was like, that was nice. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't enjoy your poetry, man. And then, like, then he made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Cigarettes, uh, you know, that whole episode was talking about cigarettes. You take away a man's cigarettes, uh, mm-hmm. death. Yep. And they ha- did have uh, the guy going through the other guy's stuff when he walked into the thing right after, pretty soon after that. Yeah, out of BC going through uh, Beecher's stuff. 
Yeah, I did notice that when we were watching. I was like, okay, call back, foreshadowing, whichever way you look at it. Adam BC also takes Beecher's watch later in the episode, and yep. he's not the only character he does that to. That that seems to be a little pet thing that uh, Adam BC does, takes people watches. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the few things that they've got that are worth anything. All right. <laughs> Thanks for joining Mercy. us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. This went longer than I expected, but that's fine. It was a good episode. Mm-hmm. And when I edit it down, it'll be shorter. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Take Thanks, care, guys. everyone. Oh, wait. What? Officials, official, I got I to gotta do uh, my administrative duties here. Uh, find us at hooplecast.com. Go on Facebook. Search for Hooplecast. Join our discussion group. That's where you can uh, see the episodes that we're talking about, where we tell you our recording dates so you can sign up to be a guest. Send feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at hooplecast. Go to iTunes. Leave a five-star review. All right, that's it. Now I'm done. <laughs> I enjoyed this pair. Yeah, the quality is getting better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was happy to have watched these two. Good. That makes me yeah, feel good. No, I'm... I think we're we're out of the uh out of the bad rocky shaky start into the quality program. Yeah, I mean I knew that it was, you know, not going to be forever or anything, but it was pretty rocky there at the beginning. <laughs> it's like, how long do we have to go? But this is good. This was good. Yep. Thanks, Matt. Thank you all. Thank you. Later everyone. Fuck you. Oh, oh, I thought he had forgotten. <laughs> I wasn't going to remind him. Nope. <laughs> we get it almost every night. And when that moon gets a big and bright, it's supernatural. Keep things loose, they keep things alive Every border will